Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is May the 12th of 2021. I am Unintelligible Nick, here with Undefatigable Chris. Ooh, those are way too complicated words. That would actually be an undead unluck. They would just make one up. Yeah, they would. I, it would be more like, be more like unangry and unsad or something like that. Oh, I'm not sad in this universe. It's great. <laughs> I want to go to that one. <laughs> unsad. Yeah, that's right. I'm always chill. I never get angry over stupid shit. I, I uh, erase sadness. It's great. I can't. I'm happy about this universe now. Uh, we are going to be talking before we get to all of the recommendations, which we didn't have manga last week. So there's a little bit stockpiled up. Uh, we uh, are going to be talking about a series called Undead Unluck, which yes. for a long time people were saying, no, Nick, you need to give it another try. We swear it's better. And I was like, no. And <laughs> so we get to that. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm good. I'm doing real good. I uh, I don't know. I was, I was about to try to like come up with like an antidote topic, and I was like, no, nothing really crazy happened today. Just generally a pretty good day all around, you know? Can't complain. How about yourself? And this is the least WMR opening. Like, we can't, like, just... We've got to go off on a tangent. Oh! Like, what's we are on the undistractable or something um, like that. Unfocused, yeah. Um... That's normally what we are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's that's yeah, that's our that's our normal power. We have the ability to create tangents whenever we don't need to, basically. <laughs> and there's a tragic backstory that like one day I was trying to like it, I was trying to explain to someone how to defuse a bomb, and I started going off on like Jackie Chan season plot threads, and like because the unfocused developed, and the person was like, "What? Cut the blue wire?" And I was like, "No!" And they died. That's my was, sad backstory. It wasn't your fault. <laughs> well, it's okay. It wasn't I hold it against fault. me. Now tangents are something I weaponize to protect people. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and by uh, weaponize, I mean I, I tape blades to my mouth, so when I go off on a tangent, they shoot out and stab people. So the series we're talking about is called Undead Unluck, mm. which uh, begins in its very, very, very basic beginnings as a series about a girl named Fuko who has a cursed body who whoever she touches uh, triggers her unluck ability. Uh-huh. The more that she likes the person and the longer she con- she touches them and more skin contact that it's with, uh, the causes a proportionate amount of bad luck to happen to them. Uh, usually violent bad luck. Yes. I don't think that we, they've ever demonstrated that like, if she happens to poke somebody that they'll lose their car keys. It's no, they will trip and fall and break their hand. Uh, like it's it's more egregious the longer you touch somebody because we see in the one flashback she does, she basically touches somebody and one person's chair breaks and the other person has like a drink spilled on them. So yes. it gets severely worse if it's contact of any prolonged sort. But it's also one of those things that's like kind of up to whatever the narrative needs. So like someone could like brush your hand and for so like a wall will collapse on top of them. So it's it's not exactly a science. Also, they start learning how to predict the unluck, which doesn't sound that sounds like it's defeating the purpose. But anyway, because she can't con- touch someone physically, uh, she decides that she needs to kill herself because she doesn't have anything to live for and also because she is literally dangerous to be kept alive so she tries to kill herself before she can a random weird half-naked man 
uh, walks up and grabs her. And because of her unluck ability, a freaking train hits him and it looks like it kills him. No, he can't die because he has the undead ability. Mm. Literally anything that harms him and potentially puts his life in danger, he just regenerates the damage from. And he has, over a very long life, learned to actually weaponize this regenerative ability into his combat style. He'll deliberately injure himself in order to fire off parts of his body like bullets, for example. Uh, they strike up a weird friendship based on his wanting to touch her so that he can hopefully eventually die because he wants to, you know, actually die someday and he can't. Uh, and him being the only one that she can literally have any normal contact with that won't die immediately. Uh, it's very creepy for about the first three or four chapters and because he keeps on saying, hey, I want to fuck you uh, in order to actually trigger the most of amount of unlock possible. And that gets dropped uh, pretty much entirely. So. Yeah, so people who are listening who have been listening to Weekly Monger Recap in a, for a while will know this. This was a jump series that we did talk about. We did our normal three-chapter thing. It, it was, what, last year? Early last year, around the same time Mashal came out, I believe. And we dropped it after the three chapters because we just weren't feeling it. And there were a lot of really kind of creepy vibes going on between the main char main lead characters. Um, and that was sort of the thing that kept a lot of people from getting into this series. And it is, to this day, the hardest thing to, like, if I want to explain it to somebody and get someone into it, I'm like, oh, man, it's so awesome. Stuff later on is crazy. So the first, like, eight chapters are kind of really creepy. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, it's super awkward. But later on, weirdly, they develop into one of the best written romances to jump, kind of, like, right now. Like, it's, 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 it's actually pretty decent. <laughs> like, I don't know how to explain Hold on. it. Let me let me look at the list of jumps the jump series real quick and but yeah you go ahead I'm gonna yeah like, but that's that's the thing is like you like you said it like that's what held you up but I think that's what held absolutely. a lot of people from wanting to to check out this series is you basically had to explain like look I totally get why the like start of this series is super uncomfortable and makes you believe that this would not be something I would want to stick with going forward but like trust me that aspect of it kind of gets dropped and eventually it just becomes a really cool battle anime. So it's one of those weird things you kind of had to work over. Okay. I can think of maybe one or two series that have better romantic relationships than undead and luck. So I think you've got a point. Yeah. One, maybe two. That's basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that it might've just kind of been one of those things where it's like, Hey, we need to care at people's attention. So, fan service fan service fan service kind of thing it becomes much less of an aspect of the plot and trust me as someone who has agreed to go on another podcast in a while and talk about please don't tease me nagatoro chen um the early parts of a series being weird and problematic are definitely something that like it's a big obstacle to try and be like, no, see, it's good because they stopped doing that. <laughs> so. I, I have heard some people say, and this is how it's kind of recommended. You can almost skip to just chapter eight and even a particular page number if you want. And you will cut out a lot of the parts where it's super awkward. Cause the, the biggest issue is that for the longest time, Fuko is like, 
please don't touch me. This is uncomfortable mm-hmm. and things like that. And he's just like, but I need it to like fight bad guys. And also because you might kill me. And that's what I want. Later on, it becomes a consensual thing and they actually yeah. become like a team and they're very happy to work together. So that's where it becomes a bit more acceptable. There's also a weird undertone for a while that he's definitely trying to groom her to have sex with him because he believes that's going to be the amount of contact needed to kill him. So they're kind of stuck together because he's like, one day I'm going to woo you until you fuck me. And it's like, ugh. I don't, not yeah. a fan of this. It stops being like that, and it starts instead being like, one day I'm going to make you really fall in love with me, and it becomes much less of a creepy thing and much more of a, damn, this guy's so smooth and cool, like, because, you know, she's like, you know, being all blushy over him saying smooth and cool lines to her, and clearly actually, you know, liking that and stuff. So, yeah. And eventually she starts actually making some of the moves herself as well. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're they grow to actually be a pretty cute couple. Uh, his name, by the way, is Andy. He doesn't have like an actual name. She calls him Andy because it's short for undead. Um, and it turns out he does have a real name, but it's complicated. Uh, so, you know, what? So shortly- this, this is something I actually learned about recently in the reread of this. I believe it was uh, Eerie Gray in our discord brought this up. Everyone who's a negator in the series, their name is a pun on what they negate. So, like, Andy is undead. Like, right. Um, oh, Billy the, is the unbelievable un- or whatever. Juez really is on justice. Yeah. The one that really stood out to me was unknown. Because yeah. that was like, oh, come on. That's. <laughs> oh, no, un. <laughs> it's like, oh, here's a Pokemon over here. Named <laughs> <it>. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, the two of them very shortly afterwards start getting hunted down by this mysterious organization, uh, that sends two members after them to try and kill them. And it turns out that they are being hunted down because they are, uh, essentially people called negators, someone who has a special superhuman ability that negates a rule of the world. And rules are also a whole thing uh, as well as that. I didn't process all of the terminology on my read through, but it's honestly, I don't think anything that you can really like say like, well, there are defined rules to everything. Say, well, I mean, the rules fluctuate. I was going to say that story wants to do uh, the the narrative itself also exists in the world. that This is supposed to be a world familiar enough that you know everything, but things are specifically not the same as they are in our reality. For example, at the start of the series, you're like, yeah, they live on like earth and like the rest of the cosmology is there. Right. And then they're like, yes, there's the moon, the sun, the earth and nothing else. And then it's a plot line later on that the entire galactic cosmos is then created. Like it's, it's a thing. And only like, like for everyone who's a negator, they recognize that it wasn't mm-hmm. that way yesterday. Essentially, uh, that was actually around the part of the series that actually was where I started really getting into this. It happens around twenty chapters in. Mm. So, the point that you know it about eight chapters in—that's the point where things start feeling more like the series as it exists now and has been for about the past year of its only 60 chapter long run so far. Which is insane considering how much stuff has happened in the series. But 
excuse me. Bless you. The um the part of the series that actually started to really get me and pull me in is about 20 chapters in. So they have, you know, started having their first adventures as part of this organization, because what happens is uh, one of the first members of this 10 member secret organization, it's gotta be 10 members, of course, uh, is one of the people sent to kill them. And he kills the other one. Pretty easily. Like, I know, what was his name? Unbreakable or something? No, well, well, he was Void was the character, so unavoidable would be what he was. Right, okay. Um, Uh, And he sucks, and he's killed, and in a series where everything seems to matter so much, no one has ever fucking brought up Void again in their life. Like, I think Shen brings him up once to be like, yeah, I kind of let him die because I wanted to fight someone stronger. Yes. So... Shen takes a huge interest to Andy and Fuko and is like, well, the only way we're ever going to leave you guys alone and not hunt you down. And I know, Andy, you can't die, but we'll keep your head in a, in a box like we did before because they've done that before. And Fuko, we can kill. So if you don't want that to happen, the only thing you, you can do is join us. And you can only do that if you two are both sitting on the council and one seat's open. So you need to go and kill someone else. So he literally just like tells them where to go and find one of his supposed allies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like the series is very interesting because it is simultaneously one of the series that seems to have the most intricate kind of world building going on. And at the same time, it is the one that clearly is writing itself as it goes along the most because like mm. there's never really given a firm explanation as to why unchange needed to be killed in that situation like i know they create one eventually but it's sort of one of those things that just like that's odd her power was fucking ridiculous it almost seems like you definitely could have taken out one of the other members of that group with the less crazy ability um although later on we know there's another unchange out there because of the way powers work in the world but also in the first chapter Andy removes the card that's in his head to just kick a bunch of dudes asses and then puts it back in and later on we are we never see that again except for the you know i'm gonna take this card out because it unlocks the super monster side of you essentially and you're just like huh that also feels like something that was kind of written in along the way like oh maybe he should like go into a you know his fucking uh maybe she could do whatever right he should he should do unleash his inner hollow and stuff exactly so um so they joined the organization and they go on a mission with Shen, uh, and then they get back from that, and it turns out that they receive their missions from the Book of the Apocalypse, which is a cartoonish book with eyes and a mouth and stuff, and it tells them what to do, and each mission they succeed at, they get a reward for, as in, all the languages in the world are now unified. Uh (laughs) That's a reward you get. Or... We'll tell you, I'll tell you where to get the location of this artifact that will help you out. Or uh, one of the negators, I'll tell you where to find that. Uh, for each one that they don't get, then there's a penalty. Uh, including, if they don't do all the missions that are given out, there is a new rule that gets added. Which changes the entire way the universe works. Because death can be a rule, for example. Yes. Everyone dies. Uh, decay is a rule. Everything decays with time when that wasn't the case before. So all these things that are assumed to be like universal rules as you and I kind of know them don't necessarily exist in this world, but can be added 
by the book. And honestly, given the knowledge of all those things, Galaxy is probably a more mild one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that makes you very curious what the other 98 rules that were – or punishments that were basically added were. Uh, a lot of people bring up Chapter 20 as the chapter that kind of got them into it because it's where we see, like, sort of the leader of the group show off her ability and it's mm-hmm. this very big, cool moment. My moment is Chapter, I believe, 19, the, the one right before it. That Any chapter that deals with Apocalypse gets, like, the, the part of my brain that gets excited for, like, Battle Manga just shooting off because it is a series of just, like – Here's a bunch of like foreshadowing of things that are about to happen that's going to make your mind start thinking. Like it, it's still bothering me right now. Unburn is out there. We've yet to see Unburn. I don't know who they are, but they're out there, and I wonder if we're going to see them one day because that was from like the first like list of missions. So like mm. it's just one of those things that like it gets you excited because like they that's how they teased out Unseen. I want to say years before it happened, but again, the series has only been running for a year, so it was only like three months, honestly. (laughs) But like, that's where they tease out all these little things. They give you little previews of everything, and all of it just makes you think so much about the world if you're interested in it. Obviously, Mm -hmm. like that's that's what gets me going. Is like, I was like, shit, this is really. It reminds me of those chapters of One Piece where like suddenly we see a bunch of things happening in the world, and it's just like, oh, what does that mean? Oh, these characters are, are around. Like, it just has this very exciting thing that lets you delve into it if you want to. And around that time also is, so the first mission that they actually go on as part of the council is the decay, the spoil. Yes. That's a mission where they go into a town and everyone inside of it is rotting like zombies because that is where the rule, which is basically a monster with world affecting ability uh named spoil is and it's turning them all into zombies and this is the first example i can think of that really hit me uh which i think is probably the thing about this series that i like the most which is it makes you care about minor characters very quickly um like there's just this teacher that was, you know, sent these little kids into a bunker when this when spoil started affecting her town. And uh, you've actually already met her after she's become a zombie. Like Andy, she's one of the few that has maintained her sanity, uh, despite the fact that her body is rotting. And Andy, you know, was cutting his way through a whole bunch of them. And he's like, hey, if you still have part of your sanity, the duck so you can lead me to this spoil thing. And she ducks. And so he goes and he talks with her and he can understand her because he started to spoil, too. And she tells him that the only thing that she really wants to do is to just wear a wedding dress to a wedding and get married. And so he's like, all right, we're going to go get hitched. And and so then after that, he's going to go and do this. And we find out later that, like, she's the teacher to these kids who gave them the secret to actually survive in the effect of spoil. And uh, she is able to die happily because Andy helped her to fill this one little wish that she wanted to do. And she and the rest of the zombies help fight spoil by touching Foucault's body as they run by and bum rushing him so that like planes and stuff are crashing out of the sky to attack it and stuff. And, uh, you know, she dies and everyone feels kind of bad about it because they know she was a nice person. And Fuko afterwards, like, I don't want anyone else to die if I can help it. I want to keep on helping people and I want to get stronger and better able to use my ability so I can help people like her who are just normal people with everyday dreams that, you know, want to get by. Mm-hmm. 
And from there, I think it's like there is at least one person that you feel that way on like every mission that they go on. Yeah. Uh, usually a lot more intense than that. Um, I love Tatiana. Like, <laughs> well, that's Tatiana's great. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So as the, the story starts to go on, we find out what the ultimate kind of big thing of all this is, is uh, Union, which is the main group of, of characters, are doing all this because they are attempting to get enough power together so that they can kill God. Whatever God yep. is behind all of this, they are going to kill them. That is their goal. And that is an actual thing. There is a God in this universe. People prayed it, prayed it, and God is an asshole. God is legitimately fucking with these people because every negator basically has a sad backstory of when their power first activates, and it's almost always tragically. Uh, Unluck started after her parents hugged her, and then her parents blew up in a fucking uh, Zeppelin accident or whatever, plane yeah. plane crash, whatever. Uh, Unmove, a character who shows up later, he stops people when he looks at them. He turns, saw his parents looked at them and they were in the middle of the street and his power activated, kept them from moving in a truck, ran and crushed them and killed them all. Like everyone gets fucked over by this. And it's extra cruel because people pray to this God. We see Anna unknown or unknowns um, mother praying to them mm -hmm. after God specifically made them vanish. Like they, they, no one can see this person anymore. They, they can see everyone, but no one can see them anymore. So it's just his mother being like, I hope my my fucking son's still alive. Please make sure he's okay. And it's like, you know, God's just fucking up in heaven just being like, bitch, I did that. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things. You're like, dude, fuck God. <laughs> <laughs> and also is going to destroy the world yes. if they don't, you know, achieve these tasks because they're on a countdown, essentially, uh -huh. at this point. Because uh, if they trigger the overall penalty where they don't accomplish all the missions that it gives them then they a little tally basically gets put on this slate and if it fills up then it's going to trigger ragnarok yeah uh and they are on like 99 out of 100 currently so if it fucks up then they're it's going he's going to blow up the world and kill everyone except andy literally cannot die and it has been established as canon that Andy has actually survived the end of the world multiple times. He just doesn't remember it because of reasons. So. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a very cool premise once you start getting into it because they really start building up the lore. And eventually we we run into an antagonist group called Under who are all basically negators who have all had their lives fucked over. But they're basically just shitheads who kind yeah. of all have their own very selfish reasons for wanting to do what they do. Uh, one of the main ones we know is Rip, and Rip's whole thing is he's like, yeah, I could work for you guys. Honestly, I probably should, but I selfishly want to go back in time and kind of undo the mistake I made, so yeah. I can't do that working with you guys, so I'm going to I'm gonna work against you instead. I can't be I can't be a hero. I can't, no. Oh, that's such a cool moment. No, it's not. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be a hero because... I'm a try hard. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we first get introduced to under when uh, Andy and Fuko and Tatiana, who is a little girl who is untouchable. And so literally all the space around her in like a set space around her hair and skin uh, cannot be penetrated in any way 
unless except in the space directly in front of her mouth when it opens. So she travels around in this specialized globe with a camera on the front and it looks like she's got a, you know, mecha suit essentially, but it's literally her containment device. And uh, so she goes on this mission with Fuko and Andy and they're going to go and hopefully recruit a new council member who is the uh, unmoved. They go, they go for unrepair because that's that's what they found out the location for was unrepair and it was on a ship right. basically and when they get there they find out they're selling a negator who is unmove and they're like oh we'll recruit this guy because unrepair is a dickhead <laughs> asshole we can actually trust this guy to be you know a good person even if he's kind of a coward you know uh and it turns out the unrepair guy rip yes is part of this organization who started and this so they have a fight and stuff uh and uh they they fight and then after they part ways, it immediately turns out that a member of the council is Eisen. Uh, <laughs> this which, is a chapter I, I I gushed about when it first happened. I I forget what what the actual I chapter I replaced it with was, but of uh, I believe that it was uh it might have been it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean like it was. It might have actually been high school family. Maybe. I don't know. Because I, I was like, what did you think about the Jello packs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it turns out that uh, the guy who made Tatiana's containment, not, not, not made, rather, but who first recruited Tatiana into the organization and friended her and gave her candy and stuff and was really nice to her, uh, Turns out he's like the actual leader of under and has been intending to betray union this entire time. And the reason for this is because Juice or however you say her name has been lying to everyone this entire time about certain aspects of how Ragnarok works because there's a thing called the Ark, which allows one person to survive the end of the world and go to the next one. And so she's done this multiple times in order to try and find more power and the right allies so that she can kill God. And she hasn't told anyone else about it because no one else could know about Ark because it's a one-person vessel, so she couldn't take them with her. And she has, Billy... She has been specifically repeating the same cycle over and over again trying to recruit the strongest team of people she can and we've seen in like various different versions she has been recruiting the same people several times uh but most times it ends up being her and victor uh so billy is the name of the guy that betrays them and it's billy (laughs) and um so there's like two different organizations that are both opposing God, but one of them is bad guys. And uh, one of them specifically, one of them specifically is not stated. Their goal is to get the power to kill God. We don't really know what Billy wants. Rip just wants to take the arc so he can go back in time. We've been told Fang just wants to fight strong people. Kree just wants to be the ruler of a bunch of nations. Potentially, yeah. maybe they do want to kill God, but they ultimately, I, I guess you would look at them as like more of like the Magneto kind of group and all this. Like, uh, yeah. they don't really yeah. consider themselves superior, but like 
they're just all very selfish shitheads, basically. And they, they only work together because their interests all kind of align. That's kind of where we are. I mean, like, there haven't been too many big plot swings from that point other than, like, well, we found someone and we, you know, they're currently, like, trying to take down these four big rules, which are named after the four seasons. Um, and uh, they've taken down one of them, which was a pretty long extended arc that featured a manga artist, uh, which was very weird for a bit because there was an entire chapter about writing manga. And now you can, you can be really good at it if you, you know, have cheating technology that lets you write 50 things at once and stuff. I, I, I want to note that the same week that in this series, they wrote a, cha- a series called Undead Unluck to submit it. Uh, yes. The same week, me and Roboco had a chapter where they also wrote a series called Undead Unluck and submitted it. Uh, it sounds like it was, uh, that sounds like they might've gotten together to play a joke. Like <laughs> baby. Um, also it was a shoujo author be- and apparently the shoujo author has been using that shoujo manga in order to actually <laughs> explain to everyone what was going to happen because they could foresee everything. And so they wrote a shoujo romance manga about it. It's kind of awesome. And at the same time, very sad. <laughs> <laughs> they have a, a a very sad backstory that uh really oh is, feel, yeah it's it's really one to enjoy and appreciate I, i'll i'll say this um the series i think has done a very good job making you care about the cast of characters in it um there's 11 members of union so far i guess technically 10 since billy left and mm-hmm. we're slowly starting to learn more and more about them i think there's only one person who we don't at least know what their power like is called um but even that, like, we haven't we haven't really seen a lot of, like, four different characters. But we've gotten a tease to kind of show that all of them have very sad backstories because God yeah. is cruel in this universe. So, like, it's one of these things where the little touches do help to add a lot to this series, I feel. Um, when we first meet Tatiana, she we don't really get much of an impression of her. And then in the arc she's in, you find out that she had, she's made this connection with uh, Foucault, which seems like it kind of comes out of nowhere. But if you actually, like, in my reread, I was like, oh, we see that she left a bunch of stuffed animals for Foucault back then. And you're like, oh, they actually are around the same age. Like, this would be mm-hmm. probably a very charming thing for two people who have intentionally been pushing people away for the longest time having somebody they feel like they have common ground with. And, you know, then you get the little intro of, like, oh, Billy was like, Oh, I'm just gonna. Uh, she was like, "Oh, just kill me, just kill me," because I can't do anything. I can't even eat cake. And he's like, "Oh, I made these straw like cakes with the very long vertical straws, basically. And now you can eat them this way because you're like, if you just open your mouth and I'll push them in, you won't. Your power won't blow them away or anything like that." It's like, what a sweet fucking thing. That's so goddamn yeah. adorable. Uh, the two of them bond, and like, there's a very cute scene where Fuko is getting to know Tatiana, and they're like, you know, they've got stuffed animals that are bonding over them. And then with her robot uh, shell thing, she holds Fuko's hand. And of course, they're like, explain to each other, like, that neither of them can touch yes. another person without bad things happening. And so they're like, after we're through all this, and we, you know, can't, we, have lost our negation abilities, then let's, you know, hold hands again regularly. It's like, oh, it's so cute. And Andy and Billy are listening to it from outside. So it's like Billy is kind of set up as like uh, Tatiana's Andy kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it turns out he's a big he's a big old traitor. Uh, <laughs> but it's be- 
because it's for kind of good reasons. It's, you know, he's not like, I will rule the world or whatever. He's like, no, I want to kill God, but I don't fucking trust you people because you've been keeping secrets from me and all this stuff. So, and there's a whole thing between him and Juice where they fight and stuff. And there's a really cool scene where Juice's ability is uh, justice, uh, which unjustice, which means that anyone, what they really, really want to do, what they're dedicated to, she can make them act against it. And Billy has some sort of strange ability that we don't really know what it is exactly yet, but he can apparently copy any negation ability. And so she's like, why aren't you using justice on me? And he does something, which I want to explain everything about to, to knock her down. And he's like, the reason I don't use unjustice on you is because you believe in me. And it's like, Oh, (laughs) that's so cool. (laughs) There's, there's a lot of nice touches um, and a lot of really cool things. I don't want to go on for a super long time. Um, just because we, we, we will be talking about undone unluck again later on in this episode, recap it. But I I will say it is definitely one of the series I enjoy the most. Now it's the same as any jump series. Some, sometimes it's better than it, you know, other weeks. Um, I would say it's, I don't know if I, honestly, that might've been a contender for series of the year last year as well, though, just because of how much happened in it, but still like. I would say that if you're into like really creative battle series, this this is definitely one of those that I I really seem to like because it it has this weird gimmick to it of the rules, but once you get into it, you're like, you know what? I can follow these rules, and it is pretty dope. So I don't know. I really I really really like it. I don't. I'm not particularly drawn actually to andy and fuko themselves they're probably like my least two favorite characters like in this series but that's not like saying like oh they're such bad characters it's just i'm so much less interested in them than anyone else it's a series that has a wide series has a wide cast doesn't always focus very much on all of them but when it does it really does so very well and i appreciate that and i think that that is the thing about it the series that really started pulling me into it was being introduced to these very different characters with very emotional uh, motivations behind their actions and uh, being like, well, anyone can die in this series. I don't want them to die, please. <laughs> Cause that's a very real sense of danger that exists in this. Um, even though I think there haven't been a whole lot that's been happening lately, but because there's some early ones, it really feels like a possibility. So yeah but yeah um i'm glad that i was wrong guys uh yeah there you go all right let's uh let's let's jump into the recap right with my hero academia chapter number 311 here we go that's the chapter title but also here we go uh so some dude with machine gun arms is shooting and Endeavor is uh, hiding behind a column so that he doesn't get hit by the nail guns he's firing. And uh, then he dashes in and beats him really quick. And uh, then afterwards, he and Hawks and Best Genius are kind of picking up the pieces and some protesters with signs that are like, we don't need heroes and stuff, are throwing stuff at them. They don't like them. And they're like, if you had been bold and wooed, things would be better and stuff. Um, 
Yes, it's it, uh, it. It's more just like okay, yeah, see, right. Setting the scene, heroes aren't welcome in society now because reason, 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 reason. We got that. Uh, eventually, the three of them are driving off, and we get a bit of conversation between them, which is really just like mostly just repeating stuff that we already know, but it's kind of them talking things out as people who don't know the entire picture. The important thing that really gets brought up or the least the important question that gets posed is when they're talking about all for one and his plans to apparently steal one for all and that's why he manipulated Shigaraki and all that stuff Hawks brings up the point of why does he need Shigaraki's rage in order to do this and best genius is like well they said that a, a strong emotion is necessary but Hawks brings up the point that all for one has been doing this whole thing for really really long time why doesn't he have strong emotions then necessary to do this uh and bestia says well maybe he doesn't have enough hatred in order to pull this off but hawk says maybe he has none at all it's just the impression i get but think about it that guy never stops smiling right yeah it's because he's weird and <laughs> but uh so they theorize that there's essentially something wrong with all for one that caused him to not have normal human emotions at this point, which if he's been a, alive for as long as he has and as powerful as he has been for as long as he has, then that makes sense. So, uh, but after they're done talking, there is, um, a beep that beep. catches their attention. Some, there's some sort of notification they get. We cut away and, all Might is uh, driving in his car on his own, and uh, he's tracking where Deku is as he's running around and helping people and stuff. And All Might thinks about how he's, you know, not stopping the rest very much. And he flashes back to when Sir Nighteye was warning him that, hey, he wasn't getting a whole lot of rest. So, there you go. Uh, then he sees that he has lost sight of uh, Deku, but at that moment... A freaking grenade appears next to his window. Uh, that's the sound he makes, I assume. Yeah. Ah, I mean, he says, yeah, "Damn all my, it!" All, all my goes from goes like, oh, a kid. I'm worried about him. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then suddenly, um, Deku's communicator gets snatched out of his hand from on whatever rooftop that he's at. Uh, I think that that's what happens. It gets shot out of yeah, his hands. And there is also a a speaker in the bullet that got sh that shot into it. It's odd. So a voice comes through the speaker in the bullet that's in his phone. That's in the wall. Uh, that says, "Hey, you're coming with me." And Deku immediately is like, wait a minute, someone's here for me specifically. They're actually targeting me. This isn't just some regular villain. They're specifically targeting me. Here we go. Ch chapter title uh, drop. And uh, but he's excited, of course, because presumably this is the entire reason he's been running around and doing stuff is so that he will draw the attention of someone with close ties to all for one. And it turns out the person who fired at him is... Uh, I believe we did see this woman in the uh, big uh, prison escape. Yeah, remember uh, all the people were super horny for her? I'm not surprised by that, but I don't remember that. And she's got a 
gun of muscles and bone essentially coming out of her elbow, which she's got folded up and pointing towards Deku. So she can somehow manipulate her body into firearms, which is cool. Uh, she's pointing it from a sniper position. There is uh, a guy slumped in the corner next to her. We saw this guy too. And uh, she warns Deku that if he comes quietly, he'll get to keep his limbs. It's overall, and... right? Huh? It's overhaul, right? Over there? Yeah, yeah. probably. Okay. He sleeves, he sleeves flapping around, so, yeah. So. I mean, it's a really cool uh, shot to end on. I do like the way that you can kind of immediately tell what's going on with her abilities if you just look at it, even without any explanation. Um... It does kind of feel like that's the entire purpose of the chapter is just to end on that moment. Yeah, I mean, like the, the first eight, hang on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The first ten pages of this chapter are just the stuff with Endeavor and Hawks and the best genus. And when I was reading this the first time, I literally just. Uh, 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 yeah, I'll be honest, I like. I had to remember, I was like, what happened in My Hero this week? And I was like, I guess they have the sniper girl at the end. And that really does feel like the entire chapter, because you're just kind of like, the other thing you get is like, oh, we actually see a little bit of how the public is reacting to Endeavor. But otherwise, it's just like a bunch of heroes talking about, like, I bet all for one is a bad guy. Like, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I don't it's know. bad guy. Like, I know you're talking a little bit more about his intricate kind of motivations and things like that, but for the most part, we've kind of gotten all this stuff. So I, I do at least appreciate we end on a cliffhanger that has me excited because it'll be cool to see this and like, Oh, what is overhaul doing here? Basically? Like, mm-hmm. what does he want with Deku? You know, it should be interesting. I blame you for my arms getting taken off. Dick is like, that happened? <laughs> when? <laughs> no, don't you remember when Hulk Hogan was supposed to protect me and he just got killed? Well, that's Hulk Hogan was here? He <laughs> was a Sandman. It's it's a whole thing. No, the Sandman's a different guy. He was an ECW. <laughs> He's just, Deku's just a huge wrestling nerd. He's just too. a big nerd. He's just like, Deku, for the love of God, I need you to be a real man's man right now. And just like, tell it to me straight. He's like, real man's man. No, Regal. He's in NXT now. He's doing great for himself. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Listen to me, Deku. We're at the pinnacle of an important conversation right here. The way that Jericho's fall was shot. It's you know, I don't want him to be heard. It's just that they really should have chosen a different camera oh, angle he, so it didn't look so fake. Oh, I was I was like, oh, is he gonna be like a really shitty ICW fan too? Where he's just like, ah, you know, I'm all for history being made, but do two chicks have to really main event WrestleMania? <laughs> he just has all the worst wrestling opinions online. <laughs> I don't. I don't really know. Like, why does it matter that they're black? <laughs> oh, he's just John Bradshaw Layfield. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's not really black history being made. It's just history. And like Booker T, looking at like anything. I didn't think there was anything wrong with Booker T losing to Triple H like that. <laughs> I thought it was cool that he pinned him after a pedigree, and then like fifteen seconds crawling over slowly. No, no, it was the part about where he said like people like you. It's like oh. You mean like people who grew up on the street? No. That, <laughs> people no. do the spin of Ernie? He's <laughs> <laughs> just like horribly naive. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Let's talk about Spy Family. Spy Family is next. So 
This no kaiju before. number eight, I believe. I want there is no kaiju number eight because it had a break at a really weird time. So it's the longest we've been without a chapter of that series ever in its entire run thus far. But we'll get some tomorrow, actually. Yeah. So, um, so this is a chapter that is all about your basically getting to know her protection target. Um, we do get a bit of stuff at the beginning where Anya and Lloyd are kind of exploring what's what all uh, commodities the the uh, yacht have. Has But when Anya comes across their suite, which has like bunk beds and is very small because it's on a ship and they're like third class, so it's not very extravagant. She immediately concludes, oh, this must be one of the ship's jail cells that she tries to leave because, yeah. And uh, then when it turns out that this is actually their suite, she just hides under the desk and says, and this concludes this episode of Anya's Big Adventure because she's all upset and disappointed. It's cute. But the rest of the chapter, uh, so... Yor is introduced to, quote-unquote, Shati, which is, you know, not her real name. It's her cover name. And uh, they're left on their own, so Yor can just protect her, and they're in private and stuff. Uh, the woman's real name is Olka, and when Yor mentions this, she's like, hey, don't, don't say my name while we're here on the ship, please, because, you know, we're supposed to keep this a secret. Uh, she also has her son, with her who is you know very small and you know is like able to pronounce like syllables basically and that's it um and she's trying to hold together because you know her husband's been killed uh and uh eventually she decides that um the kid needs to get some air and uh, she's upset because she wants to you know uh go outside even though it's not safe because they've been cooped up for the entire time since her husband was killed you are as nervous about letting them outside but olka convinced her you're my bodyguard you'll protect us and so uh your starts to lead them outside and she's being paranoid and stuff and olka brings up you know you're gonna really draw attention to us if you're acting all paranoid and stuff and you says well Yes, I am looking out for our enemies, but mostly I'm worried about running into my husband and daughter and they'll find out what I do. And uh, so that's kind of their the issue at hand. Uh, we also see a little bit of Lloyd kind of looking around at everyone, realizing that, hey, there's a lot of important people on this ship. It could be a target of terrorism. He's trying to be on alert. But Anya points out, you're not having fun, Papa. And Lloyd realizes that he was instructed to relax and, ha and take a vacation essentially so he's not doing a good job of that and uh then you know we see yor and olka wandering around and uh you know getting a little bit of of, of space and uh olka brings up you know you're really worried about uh you know your your family but if they're like your cover family i don't really understand like they're just to cover your identity, right? And Yor says, yeah, I, mean, I guess that's what they are. But she seems really, really sad when she says this because she doesn't really believe it anymore. Uh, so they go out. Olka gives Yor some casual clothes so that she's kind of in disguise too. And Olka's like, now we're just two mom friends hanging out. And yeah, they, they definitely do look like a couple of moms when, when dressed this way, yes. Uh, they go out and they're wandering, walking around and stuff. Um, but uh, when you are sees Olka with her son and he's, you know, just, you know, 
sneezing because he's cold and stuff. Yor promises that she's going to do a really good job to protect them. Uh, but as she says this, um, Olka tells Yor her son's name, which is Graham, the same as her father. And so Yor is really nice, really happy to meet the baby. And they see they're really happy. And they go back to the uh, to their to uh, Olka's room. But then it turns out that there was a listing device on one of the lawn chairs that they were sitting in. And there is a creepy guy in a dark room somewhere. Oh, he's got to be creepy just because he's sitting in a dark room with nothing but soda and televisions around him listening to a thousand conversations without being invited. Oh, suddenly that's what makes people creepy. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Also, he's got a creepy mustache. So, <laughs> oh, so suddenly mustaches are creepy. Yes. <laughs> um. So he's listening in on all of these conversations at once, and he happens to hear Graham. And when he hears that, he hones in on that conversation, and then he hears your saying, "Shati, take him back." And so he tracks the name Shati to her room, and so now he knows. The room that the target is being held in. I'd like to cut to like a couple of minutes earlier where he tuned into Graham and it was just somebody like, yeah, like Graham crackers are the worst part of the s'more. I could just get rid of it. And he was just like, damn it. I mean, I agree, but that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> like he just keeps tuning into like different conversations. Graham cracker is the only part of the s'more that I like. <laughs> oh, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> I don't like chocolate. And I don't like marshmallows. <laughs> that's fair. Um, but yeah, <laughs> what if there's just the, like persons like Graham is a weird word. Graham, 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 Graham. <laughs> Gra- hey, Graham, hey, Graham, Graham, could you get me that towel? Like, sure thing there, grandson. Like, God damn it. I fucking, how many <laughs> goddamn Graham, Graham? saying that it weighs not one gram or two <laughs> grams. Maybe about, no, not three grams. Hold on. <laughs> I love Fallout 4. My favorite Fallout 3. My favorite character was Graham or New Vegas. One of the ones had a companion named Graham. Graham, Graham, Graham. I always think about Graham. Never which came there from, but just about Graham. Graham, 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 Graham. It's just him like, God damn it. Go away from the fucking pool. <laughs> so this is a nice little chapter getting our, you know, get, you are getting introduced to, her, to uh, the person she's trying to protect. I do really like the reveal at the end because it, I mean, the way I explained it, it actually is drawn out over quite a bit of space. So it really builds up the tension as you get to that point. And also more character development for Yor because, you know, she's, you know, growing to see, you know, the importance of, uh, you know, the parent child thing going on. So. Uh, I was thinking Fallout 76, Graham was a shopkeeper. That's okay. Look, there's people who are going to be like, who the fuck was they? <laughs> were they talking about those? Like, uh, I guess there was one in New Vegas, but I was thinking Fallout 76. Sorry, it bothered me a lot. Who was the, oh, Faust? No. What was, what was the name of the. All right, hold on. Fallout 3. You know Super has Mir- the best talk show? <laughs> Graham Norton. I just love, he just has his, his, his guest talk. It's really nice. And Graham is a great person. You know, everyone would might call him Graham Norton, but I just like calling him Graham, Graham, Graham. <laughs> you know, Hulk Hogan's uh, originally just stole his entire gimmick from Billy Graham. Graham, 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 Graham. <laughs> All right, Graham. Fox, that's who I was thinking. All right. Uh, let's talk about World Trigger Nick. World Trigger Chapter 207. And we'll make it real quick. 
There's barely anything to talk about. Uh, the away mission test part five. Uh, the test actually begins. Like <laughs> Stunningly. I really thought we were going to be due for like another three weeks of just like just analyzing the draft. Although we do analyze the draft a little bit in this chapter. This is actually a very interesting chapter. Like, honestly, like there's a lot of stuff that a lot of people would be bored out of their minds reading this. But I found it like, oh, this is actually really cool. <laughs> but um, and also I get the impression that I think that the away mission test may actually have started in the first one that was titled the away mission test. Be given the way that they talk about it in this chapter. Yeah. So uh, you Osamu goes to meet up with his uh, his his new team, and uh, he's the last one to show up because um, everyone showed up early, basically. So um, they hey they have to go and change into casual clothes, which are all really weird black shirts with weird logos on them, and like. Osamu's is like a computer with a with a hand coming out of it. Uh-huh, it's it's uh-huh. weird. Yeah, I, I I think I own that shirt. Okay, old computer hand. <laughs> uh, so they they change into that. Um, they do actually remark upon the weird designs on their shirts. And uh, this is where we're going to find out that this is some weird personality test. Like, oh, because you took the computer with the hand. This was actually this says this about your character or because you took it. The toilets are going to explode on the second day or something like that. Like something crazy. You actually meant you mentioned the toys, but literally before I before you said that, I was going to say like, ah, so I see that you tend to average three point five sheets per poop. Well, <laughs> That will be a problem. Uh, we've got to be very careful with resources on this journey. Oh, uh, can you imagine if, it, like, the amount of toilet paper you got was connected to your triad? Like, you, uh, you're just like, just be like, no! Uh, uh! Oh, I've got to make sure to, I've got to make sure to not eat very much fiber. <laughs> so, um, they get their stuff and they head into the facility. Uh, every It's very dark in there when they get inside, but there's a hand symbol on the wall and Katori is immediately turns to Osamu and is like, you touch it. So Osamu touches it and turns the lights on. And uh, then they start getting some, a voice coming over the intercom while the camera is watching them. And it starts to explain the rules to them. It says, okay, so the panel over there, you actually have to supply the facility with your Trion to activate the lights and everything else. Uh, there's like a battery meter on, so you can keep track of that. The lights, the kitchen, and everything else will not function if you don't have tr- Trion going into it. And also, you will lose access to water. So they're very serious about this stuff. So don't let the facility run out of Trion. Uh, then there is uh, now also activate your Trion bodies because this is, you know, an endurance test, so be in your try on bodies uh, for the entire thing. Now, I will explain the personal devices available to you. Note the laptops on the desk. <laughs> so, everything in it is powered by Tryon as well. Uh, the They have to keep everything charged with their own Tryon, and that is literally the end of the explanation, pretty much. They say that they're are also further rules on the provisional captain's laptop. And so the captain is tasked with explaining everything else to the team's members. And that's it. 
So we start going around to each of the different squads to see how they are reacting to this scenario. So uh, some of them take some time to explain, hey, this is why I picked all of you. This was the logic I was going by. Some of them admit, I was just picking the best person I had available. I didn't really have a choice in the matter. Um, so Udagawa, you know, it, it gets along what is with Yuma. And so he kind of gets along well with people. He says like, yeah, I mean, we're going to be together for a while, for a while, but I figured that we would excel in mobility and long-term combat. So let's go check out the uh, laptops. Uh, he communicates directly with Yuma with the Tryon communicator. So he's not speaking aloud and says to him, Hey, so the operator Shiki is awkward around boys, but she's got a little brother. So she might be, you know, more open to a younger guy like you. So I'm going to entrust you to be able to actually communicate with her. So she doesn't get too nervous around the rest of us. Him so, and hmm. uh, Kotaro, the one other guy from Kakizaki squad, I believe, who's even yeah. younger than uh, Yuma. Oh yeah. So he is. He's just taller because Yuma. So yeah, because he's such a shrimp. Remember when that was like the thing in anime for the longest time? Like, you know what is the drop dead most hysterical thing you could do? If you make your lead a little bit short. Just a little bit, though. He's got to <laughs> still be fuckable. So, uh. <laughs> God, tell me I'm wrong. Make sure that's. <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. Attractive male lead. It helps to sell them off volume. Uh, you're though. not wrong. I'd, I'd really like to see the pitch meeting where they're like, oh, it'd be like a funny thing if I make the main character kind of short. And then there's just one creepy dude in the corner who's like, but they're still fuckable, right? Like, I suppose. Listen, they could be four foot nothing for all I care, but give them a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> Make mean, them you know. shirtless. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I mean, I, so I don't know if you've seen, but Jeff like has been doing like chapter by chapter reactions to Blue Box and Nine Balls Dragons Parade. Mm -hmm. And he made the note on Nine on uh, Dragons Parade. They're like, yeah, I don't know. I think that the thing that's going to be holding the series back is there's not enough Fujoshi bait. And I'm like, <laughs> damn it. He's right. <laughs> None of these guys are hot enough to be shipped with each other. <laughs> that's on. That may be your opinion. I feel strongly in the other direction. Well, we'll talk about that later. Okay. So, uh, OG squad, <laughs> OG just says like, yeah, I wanted to have people who could run and use swords <laughs> and were fun. <laughs> That's kind of it. Um, they also talk a little bit like, uh, hey, you know, Suji doesn't do great around women, so go easy on him because, you know, there's, I know the other two of you are, are ladies uh, and they're trying to be nice to Suji. <laughs> he says that like he gave a secret out. I know the two of you are women. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he's so, dropping a bombshell. Yeah, he's basically like just prepping them saying, hey, you know, Suji, try and get along with everyone. Ladies, try and go easy on Suji. And they start to, you know, have a little bit of banter. And then Ikoma looks right into the into the camera and it's like, me? <laughs> Because he's the best. Uh, Kakizaki is talking with people, and like uh, they bring up that Inukai and uh, Kogeura don't Kageura don't really get along. Taichi is there, and his hat is still stupid. Uh, Kirazoe says that he didn't really have a chance to like plan out his squad, but he was like, you know, I wound up with Some and Tono, and I figured if we were all sixteen years old, that would help. What a stupid fucking. God, I like, I hope the idea is he's supposed to just fucking bomb it. Because, like, 
I love Kikuchi Haru's there. It's just like, seriously? That we're all 16 years old is the fucking reason you picked us together? And literally everyone else is like, yeah, let's do this. Kuruma squad. um, Kuruma says essentially like, I need Yuba here to help me run a tight ship because, you know, we're all positive people, but I need someone to make sure that we don't all just like party. (laughs) Essentially is what he says. Uh. Kodera says that he wants to have a good battle phase, and he's like, everyone here is a top-notch team player. Uh, I know who we're asking, and everyone's very humble and is getting along well. That's also the team that uh, Kitora is on. Nina Mia says, I was really lucky in the first two rounds and got Azuma and Amatori, and then in round three, I took Ama because, and it was like, shut up, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. Because then we'd have three snipers like our Afune squad, which will benefit our operator. I, I honestly think that was the reason why he did it. Like, Ninomiya does not seem like the guy who would give a single fuck about, like, oh, I could be a good wingman to Emma. I'm sure he was just like, eh, three snipers, it'll make it easier for the operator. <laughs> you have you have love, you, you have feelings for another person? How fucking weak of you. <laughs> and then he spits in your face. <laughs> The two options are equally good. Either that, or like months down the line, he's going to—they're going to be heading into battle, and Ama and Chica like meaningfully hold hands for a few seconds, and Inamiya turns to Asamu and he's like, "Yes, I was rooting for them." <laughs> <laughs> he just turns and he's like, "Squee!" And that goes back. like that's that's his biggest like escape of enjoyment. And then he goes out and he's like, none of you are worthy of being around me. Hands in pockets. <laughs> he's not even shooting at anything. He's not even shooting at anything. He's just shooting the walls. <laughs> Listen, I'm too cool to ship those 14-year-olds with each other. Uh, Mizukami squad. Mizukami's like, well, I decided I'd have a bunch of smart people on my team. Hey, it's better than we're all 16. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, honestly. Um, Fumika uh, brings up, like, so are you, like, not confident about the battle phase? And Mizukami's like, I mean, I figured we'll do all right, but outside of battle is where we're really specialized. Uh, then there is uh, Murakami, and he's like, look, I just picked whoever was the best person available in any given chance. I didn't really put any thought into how we're going to work together. I'm putting all of our trust in Hiyami, our operator, and I figure she could do it. Uh, and then he gets all humble and is like, hey, if I'm coming up short, talk to me, and I will do a better job. Then there's Wakamura, who uh, is... A I panicked! <laughs> who, yes, panicked, and he's like, oh, yeah, so uh, I just thought whoever was best in the moment, and then... Uh, Yoshida is like, yeah, and I got picked last, so you didn't even have a choice with me. But Wakamura is like, well, yeah, but, you know, I had really bad luck with that. But then I got to you and I was like, oh, well, not bad. <laughs> Which is like the most backhanded. No, no, you're good. <laughs> the morning ever. Um, and he's just like, listen, guys, I don't know why I'm a captain. I think we're going to fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Then we got get to Sua Squad. And he's like, so I just kind of like went on instinct when putting this squad together. And I don't think that we've got a bad squad. And Katori's like, what the fuck? How dare you say you just chose me based on instinct? I'm obviously great. If you had, if you're going on instinct, you should have gone with Kitora, though. And I uh, agree firmly. 
Yeah, well, hold, hold down. There's hold no, there. there's no possible reason they could possibly give to make it that you would pick Katori over Katora. Calm down, there, Nina Mia. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, the others bring up the point of like, hey, Mikomo doesn't have good try on levels. Neither does Katora. So, if you did go with her, then we would be in bad condition for this. And Sue is like, hey, guys, there's no point overthinking this. The lottery was rigged. <laughs> Some like rigged. They're like, yeah. You didn't think the lottery was stupidly designed otherwise? If there wasn't some kind of logic behind it, we all just draw fucking straws. And he, he, the well, the explanation he gives is actually really clever because he's like, they could have gone with wooden sticks, right? But no, they used fucking tryon sticks, which reacted with our tryon signatures and gave us the number of the order. They rigged it so that it wouldn't be random. <laughs> so. Katori's like, well, why'd they do that? And Sue is like, well, I bet they rigged it so that people would end up on the same squad as the pokes they said that they hated. And immediately Katori turns to look at Osamu and he's like, <laughs> so, yes. Um, Sue orders them all, like, hey, let's check out the facilities. Let's check what food we're working with and water and all this stuff. Katori's like, should we look at the laptop? And Sue says, creature comforts first, which, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then we cut outside. To oh my God. This chapter's so fucking much. We're almost done. We're almost done, I swear, because the last bit will actually go kind of quickly. Uh, all the A-Rank members are observing all of what people are up to. They're saying like, okay, you know, some people are starting with the data. Some people are starting with the uh, with the food and, and boarding uh, accommodations and stuff like that. Um, Wakamura is looking through all of the orders and stuff, and he realizes, okay, so the orders come to my laptop. You guys only access what I put in the shared folder. So I'll share the phase one rules. Everyone read up. And immediately, <laughs> Hugh says, oh, I can't read. <laughs> um, and they actually give a whole explanation of like how Hughes can actually understand Japanese, even though he doesn't speak it, which it has to do with his horns basically act as a tryon body, which tryon bodies translate stuff. Uh, and uh, uh, Wakamura explains that Osamu actually called, called him up beforehand so that they would be prepared for all this stuff. So Hughes kind of just notes, yeah, he tends to take the initiative like that. So Osamu, good leader, looking out for his for his crew. Yeah. Um, and then immediately they think about Ikoma, who's just like Ikoma would never think of doing something like that. And it's like the notion of just shitting on Ikoma for a moment. Uh, so we got to Mizukami's squad, and he like goes full on like. Vietnam uh, uh, c cutting out uh, censoring a whole bunch of information before sharing it with everyone else uh, yep, delete that now I'll share the rest and it's like okay you, you guys don't need to know they, they don't need to know all that and uh, you know the people who are observing things are like well I guess that could potentially you know help you know with the lines of communication um, and everyone's just kind of observing and they make the point like well every squad's off to a so-so start and uh Jean uh, says, well, that's because there hasn't been anything to get a real measure of their strengths and weaknesses. Their teamwork will be tested once the squad starts taking the lead, 
which I have no idea how you can really do that when you're isolated like this, but I guess we'll find out next time. Team two's taking six shits. They're in the lead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the real test. All right, everyone, come on. <laughs> Eat these burritos. Go, go, go. Uh, so this is the first World Trigger chapter we've gotten since uh, a pretty long break from Ashihara, and it is still exactly at the same pace of an Ash. We got a, a large chapter as opposed to two regular-sized chapters. Uh, but again... I do like that it was like not a moment was cut. It felt like to to get us to a quicker point. It's just like no, we're going to show every single fucking group and what their thought processes, even worthless groups like Kitazoe, who's just like I picked all the sixteen year olds. <laughs> we're all of driving age. <laughs> we all were born in the same year. Actually, I was born a year later. I just my birthday's earlier. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I don't want to see any December birthdays around here. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's talk, Nick, real quick about Eden Zero. Chapter 142, Shiki versus Shura. So, Nick, we're skipping right to the end of this arc. We're going to have the big, bad, the big bad the big bad, and the big hero are fighting. We start by seeing Eraser, who's erased a bunch of dudes. That's what his name is. And a little... little fucking video screen pops up to be like hey this big cute ship's coming in who's on that ship but goodwin he's gonna try to clear open a lane for everybody and then we cut down to the battle going on in nearer 66 and sure i was like ah it looks like your gravity is a little bit different than mine see you alter your own gravity that's your focus but my focus is on manipulating another thing and he pulls just a giant spaceship out of the ground and then pulls essentially like, I don't know, engine cylinders out of it. I'm not entirely certain what they're supposed to be, but they're just big rods, essentially, and throws them at Shiki. Uh, and they basically have, you know, a bunch of fights over it. Uh, Shiki manages to stop one, even like, like it, it has a moment where Shura's like, oh my goodness. And then he starts taking that thing apart and shooting all the different pieces at Shiki, which is kind of a cool moment. And then they just have like a space fight for a little bit where they keep punching each yes. other. Um, I don't know why, but they also then have Cheeky be like, hey, you could change your own gravity too. And Shura's like, yeah, I didn't say I couldn't. I just meant like you specialize on yourself, finds a bit more, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Um, we see what the Eden Zero is up to. Basically, we're going to have the same team as last time. Chris, uh, Clean, and Laguna go out in spaceships and fight you know, fighter pilot in the air dogfight, essentially. The same thing I believe they did in the last arc. Uh, and meanwhile, the rest of the team's going to go on the ground and try to stop the all-link from going off. Um, they note, oh man, it's going to be hard without Shiki around. And Moskoy dresses up like Shiki and says, if Master Shiki is what you want, he's right here. And everyone's quiet. Pino's just like, I think he's cosplaying Master. And he says, Let's all be Moss friends. I mean, that's actually a really good impression. I mean, he nails it, yeah. yeah. And he got a fat joke in there, too. So, so Mass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we cut back to the battle happening. Uh, Shiki gets a bunch of cables wrapped around him. He's like, oh, you're all tied up now. You can't use gravity either anymore. Uh, but luckily, we just had a training arc about that. So Shiki does do a big attack. Gravity center and, and knocks everyone away. And Shura's like, wow, is this for real? I didn't any think anybody could be that awesome. And Cheeky's just like, that's not my kink, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a woman, so I won't be tied up for a whole chapter. Uh, and he just, uh, Shura just says, hey, Cheeky, be my friend. 
And the chapter ends with Shiki being like, <gasps> "Someone asked him." It's such a bad guy. It's such a dumb ending to this stupid it's- chapter. I like the joke that Shiki just wants friends, and he's so blatantly straightforward about it. Works as a joke for the most part, and occasionally it works in a dramatic sense as a very cheesy way. But the idea that the end of this chapter is a gigantic moral dilemma because a bad guy asked him to be a friend is so patronizing. Like, it's just yeah. like, if Shiki actually is stumbled by this, then he's the biggest idiot in manga. Imagine for a second if, like, a villain were fighting Deku in My Hero Academia. They're a really awful, sadistic villain. But then when it got to a point where Deku did something cool and impressive, they were like, hey, Deku. I've bought a lot of all my merch. And Deku went, <gasps> like, <laughs> you know, like that, that. it's the same thing, you know, yeah. like, oh, I use this for a joke, you know, but it informs you about the characters. Like, oh no, a villain is doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, but I'm glad we had a very short chapter. Exactly. Get through it real quick. Candy Flurry. Chapter 3, Irie Senpai, the chapter that asked the question, can ice cream get you hot? To which our Discord chat said, yes. So. Wait, is our Discord chat horny, Nick? What? No, I would never imply such a thing. So, uh, I wrote these names down. Sumugi and Misaki, yes, are... Uh, hanging out in the classroom and uh, they're just kind of like, you know, talking about shit. And then she asks Misaki, hey, how do you become a reset agent? Because I want to join them. And we cut over to reset headquarters and there is uh, a guy with uh, some kind of sideburns talking with, uh, with a small, with a kind of short girl with glasses. And they're both in reset agent uniforms. And they say, we analyzed this analysis confirmed it's a lollipop shard. It's like, you mean the fact that it's made out of lollipop? Cool. So uh, they say, oh, the sweet sweeties we've been looking for may, must be hiding in the city, but we can't let the public know about it. So find out who the perpetrator is. And the glasses girl's like, understood. I'll begin right away. And then the guy's like, by the way, uh, why are you wearing mismatched socks? And Irie turns and looks at him and says, because that's my character quirk. <laughs> so Nick, hold on. Can we stop? Because this joke has had me rolling on the floor. Nick, have you ever woken up and you're so tired you put on two different socks and then you had a stupidly impractical outfit that showed off all of your socks. So then someone commented on the fact that you have two different socks on. But like, it's supposed to be a serious situation. We're talking about like a terrorist walking around town, but they stop you to be like, why are your socks mismatched? So the joke with this character is that she is. She has ice cream based powers. And so she has a cold personality. She's very detached and professional, but she also has some weird quirks. So she will make little mistakes like forget that she's not supposed to use violence or her powers in public. And then she'll just be like, ah, yes, I forgot because she's cold and detached. And there is humor from the contrast between what she does and her general behavior. And you know what? I, I like the idea in 
concept. I like the idea that we'll toy around with the cool, cold, the tax personality, but they're actually an idiot like everyone else. Hmm. They just act all cool and detached. And there is, you know, a juxtaposition between how they act versus the way that they do things. So that's an interesting idea. I didn't laugh at any of the jokes involving this character at all whatsoever. I just, it was so weird to me that somebody would be like, why are you wearing mismatched socks? Be like, I don't know, because their outfits are kind of stupid to begin with. Why do you give a fuck? <laughs> do you do my laundry? Do you care? Like what? So later on, Suzuki is hanging out with Misaki again. They're hanging out in a classroom just because, I guess. And uh, Misaki's like, why do you want to join the reset? It's dangerous. And she says, well, I figured it'd be easiest way to figure out the real person who destroyed Tokyo. Good fucking point. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll join the police organization. That way I'll use their you know, resources to find this person. Cool. All right. But then they're like, but uh, if people find out who they are, who you are, then uh, what is going to happen? I will be responsible. And she's like, yeah, why would you be responsible, dumbass? But if they catch me, they'll be taking you in with me. Or like co-conspirators, I guess. That's what he meant. Um, the guy who was sitting on her before shows up in the classroom, points at Misaki, is like, what? And then Irie shows up behind him and is like, I've been telling you to stop harassing the female students. And then she punches him right in the freaking nose. And then he's like, hey, that reset agent said you can't harm civilians. Doesn't that apply to you? And Irie just goes, that's right. And that's the joke. So she introduced herself as reset agent Irie and uh, says that she's on a mission related to the incident that occurred yesterday. Sumiki is like, oh, no, is she on to me? This one seems really competent. Oh, but she's got mismatched socks, so maybe she's not competent at all. Uh, but then she's like, were you there yesterday? And Sumiki's like, yeah, no. And Misaki's like, yes, she was. And Sumiki's like, why? <laughs> And Iria's like, oh, well, I heard you were escorted out safely, so I wanted to confirm. I'm I wanted to see if you were hiding anything from me. Because, you know, just be really obvious about what you're trying to do. Um, and then, oh, no, she left her backpacks behind somewhere. So maybe she's not really competent. That's the joke. And we're going to keep on pointing it out every time it happens. Because pointing out the joke makes it funnier. Yeah. So... We're introduced to the concept of star agents. Misaki is only a one-star agent. Irie is a three-star agent who are much, much, much more powerful. And uh, then while they're talking, Irie randomly comes up behind Misaki. And uh, she gets the impression that they're love interests, that she, like, decides to kind of root Misaki on in that. And then uh, while she's walking away... Sumugi's like, maybe I can hide the fact that I'm a live pop user from her. But then a truck comes barreling down the road. The brakes aren't working. And they're like, oh, no, the truck is going to get hit. It's going to hit someone. Birie says, don't worry, I'll take care of this. And she summons her ice cream powers and eh. makes a whole bunch of ice cream. And there's little scoops here and there and then the stops the truck without hurting anybody. Nick, and what are you like, talking about? It is an incredible scene where a truck is upended and there's like three scoops of ice cream along the road. And it's so yep. visually creative and wonderful. I can't comprehend how much imagination went into all of this. There's mushy snow and a few scoops here and there. I should yeah. just be straight. I think this actually could have been a cool scene 
it deserved like a full page spread or something Absolutely. because you really can't yeah. get a sense of anything from this one shot. No, you re- really cannot. Like it, it, there should have been, this should have been art porn right here. That's, mm. you know, the part where you're like, okay, here's the new character. Here's how awesome their power is. And it's just like, a eh, little bit of ice cream. Um, Misaki bigs up Yure saying that she is one of the aces said to be closest to being able to defeat the lollipop user, ice cream user, Toka Irie. And uh, then uh, Sumugi's like, wait a minute. Art reset agents only allowed to use their abilities against sweet users. And Irie goes, oh, that's right. Because she forgot. Again. Okay. I mean, it's also stupid. If sweets users can't use their powers to save one someone from being murdered, like that feels like that should be allowed. It's ice cream. It'll melt. Like, what if someone is on the street and they're being attacked by a guy with a knife and they're like, "Oh, reset, agent, help me! You're a lo- you're with law enforcement. There's someone who's trying to stab me for and steal my belongings." Sorry, they're not a sweets user. I can't use my abilities against them. What do you can you use your giant fork weapon? No, no, I forgot it at home. <laughs> That's my character quirk. Goodbye, citizen. <laughs> Nick, it's been it's been three chapters. Three chapters. Let's do it. Yes. Let's, let, can we not read this series anymore? Yeah, I feel like that. Yeah. I feel like that's fair. Uh, that does sound fair to me because. Um, I don't care for this. No. But I, I don't, don't have very strong feelings about it either way. It just kind of is like, all right. <sighs> and I'm disappointed because the first chapter did kind of draw me in. I like mm. the idea of like, okay, here's this comedic take on a battle series that uh, seems to, you know, get how to like do like a serious action thing, but like make it so ridiculous that it's, you know, that is like the comedy of it. But the longer we've kind of stuck with it, um, the less funny the entire thing seems to me. Almost as if there was one joke that was actually worthwhile, and that joke has worn out uh, through repetition, and it's no longer fresh. And, uh, yeah. So that is where I'm kind of I'm at on this series. I just do not give a shit. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Ah, it's actually over there, and I don't okay. want to pick it up. So I guess it's not happening. Okay. It's not even it's worth it. It's all the way over there. I forgot to bring it over before we started recording today. So oh, what just... a fun character quirk. <laughs> so I will note this. I will still be talking about this because I want to note. Uh, I have started up something new for our Patreon. Uh, it is a, a series that I'm going to be doing monthly called Monthly Other Recap or MOR for more. Uh, and I am going to be talking about all the stuff that we don't talk about in the recap. So including Ayakashi Triangle, which just left our recap, and including this, which is also not staying in the recap. I'll talk about all those series basically on a monthly basis. So uh, if you want to know what happens with uh, Candy Flurry, now you can find out. Uh, the first episode is up on our Patreon. Uh, it's going to be available for Patreons of every any level. So go check it out. That's right. For all the hot, sexy content in Ayakashi Triangle, you have to become yeah. a premium member so you can find out how much Matsuri's hot mom is going to molest him. So, 
Yeah, that's that was pretty much what happened this week as that's well. Basically, so. what happened? Oh, damn it! <laughs> well, there we go. Lost the lost the subscribers. My bad. So yeah. Uh, all right. So that's Candy Flurry done. So we are going to move on then to the elusive samurai. Yeah. So color Very pages. Elusive. Yeah, elusive samurai has been doing gangbusters. So yes. I think it's going to be sticking around for a while. Uh, it seems like it is probably the big breakout of the uh, group of uh, four manga that came out uh, at its time. So, yeah, uh, we get a thing, you know, that's just kind of like it has nothing to do with the actual chapter. It's just sort of a reintroduction to, uh, oh, gosh, his name is Tokiyuki. Uh, and, you know, saying that, oh, the only thing that is known about him is that this is how elusive he was and how he never fled from his destiny. And we get this boss two page color spread of him trying to face off against Takaoji, who seems to just be casually ignoring and walking away from him. It looks very cool. So. Chapter 15, Takaoji, 1333. So. We start getting an explanation about Takaoji uh, because there is some sort of power struggle that is taking place within the emperor's government. Takaoji represents the warriors. The other faction, however, is trying to oppose him still, including the shogun's son, Sei Taishogun. And uh, so he immediately like shoots up a bunch of uh, Takaoji's men and is trying to assassinate him. Uh, and he says, this is where you're going to die. Uh, we're introduced to Sh- Moriyoshi Shino, who uh, has uh, done a lot of stuff within his his emperor's empire, uh, contributed to the emperor, seizing power. Uh, but despite this, and despite the fact that he's drawing his sword, he's got his men with bows and arrows trying to kill Takaoji, Takaoji just says, why are you so determined to take my life? Uh, and Moriyoshi says, well, someday you're going to betray the Mikado too. So I must dirty my hands for the, for his sake. So a fight breaks out between the two groups. Uh, Moriyoshi cuts down a whole bunch of Takaoji's men. Uh, and you know, we get more stuff bigging him up saying the emperor has viewed him as a possible successor because of his many accomplishments and his prowess in combat. Uh, as he's cutting up a bunch of men, Ashi uh, Kaga just observes that, you know, we've got he's got a bunch of wandering samurai and priests and rogues with him. So he's, you know, drawn many people to his side. This really weird, ugly looking guy uh, says, let me handle this. But Takaji says, no, I'm the one he wants. Talking one on one will resolve this misunderstanding. And uh, so he starts approaching uh, the emperor's son's men who try to attack him and they're all dead. (laughs) (laughs) We don't even see him swing his sword. We just see him appear on the other side of them and the after effect of his slash and their heads flying up in the air uh, in the background. It's pretty crazy. So he approaches Mariyoshi and says, calm yourself. Uh, And... Moriyoshi just can't seem to take out Takaoji. Like his other men show up and he's waving his sword, cutting them down very casually. Uh, Moriyoshi realizes just how powerful Takaoji is in that moment. He tries to attack him from behind and 
Takauji doesn't even turn to face him. He's bisecting a guy in front of him, and he's just, without looking, using his bare arm to deflect all of Moriyoshi's sword blows. And after he's taken out all the rest of Moriyoshi's men, he grabs the sword blade in his bare hand with his pinky finger and bows before him and says, you must believe me. My loyalty to the Mikado is unwavering. And Moriyoshi realizes that no single warrior can defeat Takauji. But I'm not alone. Someday, I and my supporters are sure to... And then he hears a priest, you know, coming and their people are rushing forward. And they're like, oh my gosh, the prince has drawn his blade. And so they're all rushing in and Moriyoshi beckons to them. Assist me in the battle. Help me help me kill Takauji. But all the people immediately gather around Takauji instead. And they're like, are you okay? Are you all right? Did your big strong arms get 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 scratched up? And of course, Takauji is fine. But Moriyoshi realizes, oh my god, all of my men have immediately betrayed me because this guy is just too darn likable. He's just so charismatic and fun to talk to. <laughs> He's just so... He has such big shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we get a narration saying that two months after Moriyoshi Shino clashed with Takauji, he lost his position as Sei Taishogun. And Emperor Godaigo was more enamored of a warrior he had just met than of his own accomplished and talented son who had shared both joy and sorrow with him. And... Moriyoshi observes the scene before him as if uh, Shikaga is a tentacle monster with a harem. And hey, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Yum. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that you would, you know, I don't know. They seem very happy to be taken in by his tentacles, so. Uh... Moriyoshi is just like, you can't allow him to be within, inside, something inhuman rise within him. But of course, no one is listening to him, and he seems to be the only person who sees Takauji as he truly is. So, Tokiyuki, you know, asks questions about this, and Yorishige says that Takauji's military might prevents his assassination, and he is immensely popular. He unseated the Mikado's son. He is not the Ashikaga Takauji you once knew. And he asks of Tokuyuki, are you prepared to face so high-level an opponent as him? But before he can really think about that question, uh, Ayako bursts in and says, can you come and get Genwa to behave? Uh, he got drunk and he's causing a ruckus. He grabbed all the shrine mains. He's threatened to pee on everyone. There's something censored waving around his body, and I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> is that his poop? What is that? <laughs> so... uh. Tokyuki's got to go and deal with that whole thing. Before he leaves, though, he says to Yorishige, you gave me retainers and a way to fight and even confidence. They may not, am not amount to much yet, but to me, they are treasures. Takauji may be far above me, but I won't give up. I will continue gathering treasures to use against him. And Yorishige is pleased by this. And he thinks of them as the indomitable lion and the rabbit he hasn't even noticed yet. The lion does not. Oh, oh no, what does the lion not? The lion does not know. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it looks like we are probably going to get disconnected from Nick, or it's just a really long lag spike. Oh. Are we there? I mean, I can still hear you. I haven't, I haven't gotten any interruption from receiving stuff from your end. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, wow, that was that was a long that was a long hiccup then. All right. Well. Okay. We're here. So, there we go. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. The chapter closes on Tokiyuki and his retainers trying to subdue Genba, while Yorishige very poetically says, "The lion does not know he will someday fear the little rabbit." Okay. So. And there's a lot of vomit going everywhere, or shit. Yeah. I'm hoping vomit, but. Because there, there is some of it in his mouth. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is a cool chapter to kind of build up uh, the main antagonist of all of this and, and kind of give a little bit more into Takauji's character and just build up him as this crazy threat. I, I thought it was really effective for that. And also just like the guy being so fucking amicable, like he's fighting off you know, uh, Mikado and just killing everybody and then just gracefully grabs his sword and is just like, oh, you must believe on, me. my loyalty is unwavering towards you. And you're like, oh, what a fuck. I don't trust this asshole at all whatsoever. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Great chapter. Um, it definitely felt like a chapter that even if there's not the color page at the beginning lets you know, like, yeah, we're in this for the long haul because we're bothering to take the time to build this up big time and move on to say, like, this is the long term conflict. Keep that in mind, as opposed to we've got to be prepared to end the series at any given moment. So. Yep. Speaking of which. So <laughs> speaking of series that aren't going to be hanging around for too long. I tell C, chapter 14, painting. So Aoi has taken Sakon to go and see her friend, Mr. Wan, who liked cutting things in half at the end of the last chapter. And he explains in this one, I sure do like splitting things. <laughs> no, I'm not going to give the actual character explanation for why he likes it. I'm just going to say that line. I forgot he was even in this chapter. I legitimately... Forgot because I was thinking about the end of the chapter being the only part that was good, and I forgot they fucking met this dude and interacted with him because I don't recall. I guess he he's gonna do something as a part of their plan, but otherwise I just completely fucking forgot he existed after after they left him. He starts being weird towards Ioe based on the fact that she parts her hair in the middle, and Sakon starts you know shouting at him and you know trying to block his sword with part of the watermelon he cut open. And a bunch of his goons are like, no, he would never hurt Big Sis Aoi. And they start throwing him in the air as if they're celebrating with him. Apparently that's how he they deal with, I don't know, it's weird. So Aoi um, makes goo-goo eyes at them in order to get them to be nice, and it, and it works immediately. Then she turns to Mr. Wan and she's like, hey, can I get a favor? And he says, I'm not really interested in this and I'm not interested in catching Mar. And then I always like, look, my hair parts down the middle. And immediately Wan's like, Ehh. and uh, but he says, well, I'm already used to that center part in your hair. I've become a bit split to it at this point. So, 
So instead, Iowa goes and is <laughs> like, like the dead silence there really kind of encapsulated how everyone felt. <laughs> so Iowa drags over Sakon and says, "Hey, Mister Wan, this is Sakon, and Sa means left." And Wan is me like Sakon left. You mean he's a twin? Yes. So can I? Yeah, as long as you do. And they start whispering, and immediately Juan is really friendly to Sakon again, and he's like trying to share his popsicle with him and stuff. And I was like, "There's something I want you to prepare for us." And uh, they, she has like a sheet of paper that she shows the both of them, and then that's just kind of it. We cut to almost a week later. They're watching stuff on TV. Sakon is reading a book titled Art. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. Haven't you, haven't you picked up the book, the art book yet? Yes, I have. It's a great read. So Sakon says, TV has been nonstop about Mar. I bet the ratings are better than those shoddy variety shows. Yeah, fuck you, Saturday Night Live. Eat shit. <laughs> and this has got to be just like. A, one of those really weird I'm going to insert my opinion about different media into my series that happens occasionally in fiction it's like I'm just going to have a, a character just say how I feel about stuff <laughs> <laughs> variety shows suck <laughs> everyone likes Saikon don't believe what he says so Aki our, their boss uh, says Sakan. Can you not spend so much of our budget on dumbbells? It comes out of my pocket, after all. Why do you let him spend the budget? Just let him spend his own paycheck. And Sakan says, I need to train my body as much as possible. And Akiraka is like, you only have two arms. You don't need a million dumbbells. So yes, that's the main problem with this. Yes. Anyway, Homura comes in. <laughs> and Akiraka is immediately like, I ship you two. Bye. And so he heads out and they start talking. And so they start talking about how the chief is angry at the AI division. And Amora's like, hey, you've been working a lot recently on what? So why don't you watch this instead and blow off some steam? And it's a training exercise DVD. And immediately Sakan starts watching it and he's rooting on it like it's an actual like fictional TV show with with the instructor Captain Billy as the hero because working out is the only thing Sakon understands. It's a pretty, you know, that's a way to live life. Now what's, what's the name of the actual dude? This is parodying. I forget his name. I don't know. Uh, workout Billy blank. Was that it? I don't know. Uh, oh, I'm going to look. Yeah. It's like the dude who like the typo stuff. Yeah. It's definitely Billy blanks. Okay. never mind. I got All it. Right. Okay, that's the most interesting thing about this chapter, I guess. So I'm I'm actually surprised. I didn't know Billy Blanks Taibo had crossed over the barrier to Japan. Yeah, sounds kind of uh, contradictory when you think about it. Yeah. So, uh, Sakon was apparently looking up stuff on Garo Kaizuka. The bulk of the paintings that Mar steals are his from when he was active in the 2000s, which was a long time ago. Uh, but he doesn't have any leads because Sakon's a bad detective. Uh, and he says, not only has she appeared in the security cameras, she's shown her face and used one of her followers. It's all brazen. What is Mar trying to accomplish? Whatever the reason, I'm sure Miss Aoi will figure it all out. I'll just do need to do whatever I can to help her. 
because I'm worthless, but I lift weights, so... I'm sure the next time I get into a fist fight with her, I'm definitely not going to get my shit pushed in immediately. I passed a detective's exam, presumably, so, uh, I guess I'm not very smart. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Man, if we cared more about the series at this point, I'd come up with a hilarious character for him, just like, oh, he's, like, so dumb, he just, like, falls ass backwards and everything but at this point i'm just like god when is this gonna end <laughs> i'm just at this like i've reached the point now where i'm like all right clearly the author's having a ton of fun with this but it's reached a point where it's not actually goofy enough anymore like we've gotten past the point of like the fucking mom professor or the mom commander or whatever and all that stuff being introduced now it's just like regular boring shit i'm just like oh he used yep. to be special <laughs> so Homura has a flashback. <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Who gives a single fuck about this character's flashback? She has a flashback to when she knew Ukon, and he Ukon said, "If anything ever happens to me, which it definitely will, take care of Sakon." <laughs> and Homura said, "What kind of talk is that, Ukon? Are you gonna die sometime? <laughs> Clearly, that'll never happen." <laughs> I love that we get like this three chapter flashback to explain why this character is even being added into the story at this point. Like, uh, they were going to have a really important relationship with Seikon and Ukon, and uh, we didn't have time for that. So, uh... <laughs> and then she was like, okay, but use my title because I outrank you. Well, we're childhood friends, so it's fine. <laughs> Just saying stuff about their relationship. <laughs> You're a girl and I'm a boy, but we don't have romantic feelings for each other. But you've always felt that way for my brother. <laughs> oh, boy. Ayoi right. uh, appears and she's very sleep deprived because she's been working hard. She goes to take a nap behind the couch because she likes tight spaces, I guess. The next day, uh, they are all on alert for Mar at the museum waiting for her to appear to try and steal stuff. The I Division is there. And because Akiraka is part of the Housewife Gossips Club, he is knitting or crocheting. I can't really tell. I can't see if he's got needles or anything. Anyway, so um, they're there. And the chief is upset that they're there because I Division. Uh, he talks about how great their security system is because in order to get to the painting, you got to press three remote controls simultaneously. He makes fun of Akiraka because of his hair. He's like, if you used your hair, you could probably press all three simultaneously. <laughs> his wife is there and she's like, I don't like you. Uh, I want to see Mar. Okay. Uh, then there's like a countdown to when Mar is supposed to appear, and they're like, Phantom Thief Mar will pop up somewhere. And nothing happens. And the chief is like, Oh, she must be scared of the first division. And then the lights go out, and they immediately hear in their radio transmitters a woman's voice because amazingly, she had a plan. And she says, Let's play a game first a hide and seek. Somewhere in the museum is a real beauty. Me, to be exact. Cool. Oh. So. Uh, they're like, all right, everyone search the area. Uh, and then she's like, hmm, I wonder if that little lady is around somewhere. I'd love it if she were. By the way, the I Division, when they were there, I always wasn't with them. So we don't know where she is. Uh, so she says, if I beat someone beautiful, my beautiful deviation value will grow even higher. Sure, it's a transitive property of beautiful. 
if you're beautiful and you beat someone beautiful, their beauty then transfers to you and you get even more beautiful. That's how it's always worked. So the that's why boxers are the ugliest people on the planet. Yes, <laughs> they just they keep punching the beauty out of each other, and then there's nothing left to to absorb into the next person. First, I was the beautiful phantom thief Mar. Then I was the adequate phantom thief Mar. Then Kid Mar. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, the only th- but I actually looked up deviation value because to see if there was some sort of like way that made any sense and the other thing i could find was standard deviation which is which is a statistics terminology and uh i couldn't think of a way that it made sense uh when applying it so it sounds like utter nonsense to me and um i tell c is bad okay i will note the end panel is actually pretty cool like i do actually like the way it's framed where mars is completely ignorant of the fact that aoi is underneath the the pipes there I was like, that's kind of cool, but yeah, otherwise, very forgettable. Speaking of forgettable... Um, Magu-chan, God of Destruction. (laughs) I just wanted to be mean. (laughs) It's a a battle chapter, what the hell? (laughs) Chapter 42, Providence versus Fate. Um, so there's some brief opening that happens. It's not really important. Uneris is gone to go and confront Muscar and fucking fight him. <laughs> so, so they have a fight across the chapter and Uneris takes on like a super saiyan form with like long black tendrils coming off her body. And she's using her abilities to try and attack Muscar. He uses fate altering abilities so that nothing hits him though. She throws rocks at him. She throws, you know, the, the false Magu chance at him so that, and she's basically just turned them into battle satellite drones that'll shoot lasers for her. Uh, and as Muscar is, you know, escaping and getting away and he eventually ducks into a warehouse, he concludes that she's trying to just exhaust his powers. Um, uh, and Uneris is like, well, I know you're not recovered enough to execute your powers in succession, so I'll whittle them down until your powers of fate are used up. This is a war of attrition. And uh, that's just kind of it. So um, they talk about Magu and Ruru, and Uneris brings up how, you know, because of Ruru, Magu is growing to understand humans. And she says that she's not going to allow Muscar to come between them because they're my OTP, which that's not what that means. That's not what that means. Um Unless it is what it means. In which case, what's wrong with you? He's like a thousand years older than her. Stop. So, um, Muscar says, you otaku are all disgusting. Which, hey, it's a joke. Because she's an otaku, so you make otaku jokes. Um, But Muscar says, the reason I haven't been using my adjustment of fate consecutively was because I had to prepare. And a pipe in the ceiling above them suddenly randomly crumbles and lands right on top of Uneris in such a way that she's stuck within it. And the lightning bolt comes from the sky and fucking blasts her. And Muscar says, all the continued failures with these ridiculous farces of late, you underestimated my powers as the third pillar. And yeah, Uneris is pretty fucked up by, you know, a freaking lightning bolt hitting her body directly. And Muscar says, as he reaches out and just grabs her with, like, an extending sleeve, that she seems to have the wrong idea. Destroying lowly humans is easy for me. It's only out of kindness that I don't. If you don't want to make matters worse, do not get in my way again. So Nera says, well, I guess you have me beat. But at least tell me one thing. If you hate humans so much, 
And whose face is that? <gasps> and then she is into goo when she runs away. So. And uh, she shows up later. She's all beat up and is comedically bandaged and stuff, whatever. Uh, then immediately Ren is like, you don't even walk down the because she says, I've actually fell down some stairs. And Ren says, you don't walk downstairs. You float. And Eris like, yeah, I guess not. And then she just takes the bandages off because she's fine, because this was all just a show for her own sake, because she's weird. And uh, she does flat out admit to Yzma that she lost a battle to Muscar um, and she, you know, just underestimated him. He's upset that she didn't take him with it, her, uh, but she concludes Muscar can't be defeated in battle. If we hope to fight against fate, those two, meaning Ruru and Magu, might really be the key. It was an interesting chapter. Um, it's very weird for Magu Chad to be serious. Like it, it's one of those things. I'm almost just like, this doesn't make sense. Um, and I know there were still some jokes and stuff like that in it. Um, and I know we also got serious for a little bit when Muscar first got introduced, but like mm-hmm. I've become so like accustomed to Muscar just being a goober, <laughs> like like everything <laughs> happening just being a joke. That it was like weird to be like, oh, I'm ta- I need to take you seriously again. You underestimated his powers as the third pillar, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I I think the part I like the most is just the tease of like, oh, then who- if you ate humans, then whose face is that? Because it does kind of answer something like, why is one of the chaos gods just looking like a young kid, basically? Yeah. Um. So I like it for that that aspect. Um. And we'll see where things go from here. It was definitely very different from a Magu-chan chapter, but there was some cool, yeah, there was some cool stuff in it, so. If this was meant to be a glimpse of, like, hey, if we want to stick around for a while, maybe we have to have some things punch each other. (laughs) Like, all right, there's worse ways to do it, I suppose. (laughs) Magu-chan box. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Speaking of of series that are going to be around for a while. (laughs) Nine Dragons Ball Parade, chapter 12. Wind! So, uh, rumors start circulating about Kokoryu's on high school. Uh, they're one of the uh, players of the team that Ayatsuji beat is like getting, you know, harped on by one of his friends. And because of this, some people happen to overhear a conversation about Kokoryu's on high school. Uh, then we see a little bit of uh, practice from the few members of the Kukuryu's on team. Kareen is trying to conduct fielding practice for them by trying to hit a ball towards them. And uh, she completely whiffs and falls on her ass the first time she tries to do this. She okay. she likes like managing baseball. She's never played it in her life. <laughs> so Because, Nick, uh, here's the thing. Girls can't play baseball. Just a, just a fact. Just a rule oh. in the universe. They, they play softball. Yeah. Which is fundamentally different. She definitely couldn't have understood how to toss a ball into the air and then hit it with a baseball bat. I actually had a, uh, knew somebody who she told me that she would play baseball when she was a kid. But then when she got into like high school, she couldn't play it anymore. And she also couldn't play softball because she was a pitcher. And the pitching motion is, you know, completely entirely different. She you know, yeah. couldn't just pitch underhand. So kind of sucks. So I can understand that. Uh, so then, uh, they have a meeting after practice. Kareen is really tired because she was conducting fielding practice and was bad at it. And I says, we don't have time to be tired. 
there's always time to be tired, dude. <laughs> no, no, we don't have time to be tired. We don't have time to rest right now, guys. It's really pressing we get as much done as quickly as possible. So he says, all right, we need, what players do we need? And immediately Tsubaki's like, players who will worship me. That's not helpful. Uh, but he says, okay, if you guys don't have any specific targets, I have one. So the second place school of the Tokyo Regional Championships, Futaba West Junior High. And immediately Surugi's like, oh, they're a one-man team, right? They rely on their power cleanup hitter, the RBI King Daiki Higuruma. And also, he is an ace pitcher. And according to Azu, has an ERA below two, which is ridiculous. Uh, so Korean says, well, can we actually get someone like him? And Azu says, well, actually. But then we cut away to meet Higuruma, who has real main character energy, I guess is uh, the easiest way of putting it. He's got, you know, very bright hair and he's like, Hey guys, you know? And so uh, he's the captain of their baseball team. He says he's been recruited by, you know, a really good uh, high school team and his friend, the vice captain, Shuhei Kido congratulates him. He's a much more normal looking guy. And, uh, you know, they have a big congratulatory, Hey, you know, thanks for helping me out this whole time. And uh, Higuruma says to Kido, let's meet at Koshi and have a captain versus vice captain match. Aww. Uh, but then he goes outside and he's, just, and he's just, you know, casually handing in his business. He's part of the school beautification community. So he's going and watering flowers and stuff. Uh, and he's just, you know, it's like, I'll never make it to Koshian. But, you know, it felt good when, you know, people would say, oh, we owe vice captain Kido a lot. And one day when Higuruma makes it to the Koshian, uh, he'll, I'll be proud of how he made it. And that's it. You know, that's the kind of life that's suitable for me. And then Azakita shows up and says, hey, uh, we're here to see you. We've got visitor passes. And Korean is there along with the rest of the team. And Korean says, we want you to join Kokuru Yu's on high school's baseball team. We're here to recruit you. And immediately, Kido's like, oh, wait, you mean Higuruma, right? You want him for the team. Because he's already been recruited, so and Azukita's like, no. And we cut to the rest of the conversation they had before, and he explained, I don't want to recruit Higuruma. I want to recruit their vice captain, Kido, because he's really solid at every facet of the game. And Tsubaki's like, well, he sounds really ordinary. It's like, I mean, having a really good all-rounder is good, though. <laughs> so... But he explains he's actually got two strengths that are way beyond even Higuruma's. He's really good at pitches at, at, at uh, rather he's really good at, you know, analyzing pitches. He's not very good at hitting, but he's great at getting on base. He gets walked a lot, basically. Uh, he's the supporting character behind Higuruma's incredible RBI record. He would always get on base. Therefore, Higuruma had a lot of RBIs. So... Uh, and second, he's got great leadership skills. And apparently he was just watching from a really good vantage point at one of their games where Higuruma was trying to, you know, give a big pep talk to his team. It was just like, ah, focus and stuff. And, uh, and Kido actually gave a good speech and it was like, hey, you know, let's good play good defense and rely on our awesome captain to get us to nationals. Awesome. Cool. And they did a really good job. So based on all that, they did really well. Yes, Higuruma is the ace of their team. Kido doesn't have the most eye-catching skills, but his strength supported Higuruma and the entire team. So he was just as important a player, and that's the kind of guy that we need. 
So they refer to him as a hidden gem. So cool. Uh, so they recruit, recruit uh, him and Subaki is like, you will be the rootstock that supports my flower. And immediately they're like, stop being rude. You fucking come over here. Come over here. But Azukita says, yeah, we're here for you, Kido. You have the skills we need. So will you do us the honor of joining us? Any beautiful flower needs strong roots to bloom. And Kido is like, roots? You know, I never thought about it like that. I've always thought anyone I, can do the things I can do. I never thought my hobbies would be symbolic of the thing that I do. But now that, now that, I, now that I've been told it, it is very thematically fitting that I am also in the beautification <laughs> committee. Because it would be stupid if you had said that and I was fucking like playing basketball or something like, like if i was painting like pictures or something wouldn't make sense at all will you be the flowers that create the paint <laughs> every good picture needs a pigment ball person will you play be baseball the, for us will you be the steady hand that paints our masterpiece Will you Damn, be really the debate clause to our counter argument thing? Play baseball, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So he thinks, you know, maybe I was wrong. I kind of thought that that hot new baseball team that we were hearing about, you know, there's no way they'll be interested in me. But I guess they are. So. Maybe I was wrong about myself, and maybe I don't just have to watch you go into glory. Maybe I can actually meet you there. And so he's like, maybe I can do it. And he says, if we do this, we're going for Koshien. Kido's been recruited. Hooray. He's their first baseman. Awesome. <laughs> uh, we get a little bit more shots of the team practicing together. Um, Kido's good at fielding. Korean's like, all right, good job. I was trying to hit a fly ball there, but uh, yeah, I won't bring that up. Uh, good job. We haven't had so. And uh, for a while, things are good. And then we meet a new character. He's got a headband and a very tight shirt. And he is there to see Surugi, declaring himself, Taiga Toromoto, your lifelong rival. I'm going to join this team, too. And there's someone who looks like they're wearing some sort of suit behind him as well. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, so those two characters and then the character who joined in this chapter are the three characters we were teased with last chapter as being like news of this team is spreading. So these are I assume, presumably three more characters joined the group. Uh, one obviously already did. And then they'll just need one last person, I believe. Or two more. Two more. So uh, look, let's not beat around the bush. Things aren't looking so hot for Nine Balls Dragon Parade right now. Nine Dragons Ball Parade. You know what? I'm not going to bother learning the name because it's probably not sticking around. Uh, it's doing particularly bad in the rankings. Unfortunately. Uh, the likelihood that there's going to be three series leaving the magazine the next time there's new series coming in is relatively high. And uh, as of right now, it looks like the three going are probably going to be ITLC, Horror, Boil, Cop, and Dolphin, and then this. Uh, maybe it won't. It's, nothing's definite as of right now. Um, maybe a miracle will happen. Uh, but it does seem like this is the likely scenario. Uh, I will say that if that's the case, uh, the series does not seem to notice that because it feels like it's going at the exact pace it was going to. Um, I do not expect that we were going to get four chapters essentially getting 
every character into the group because that would have taken like 30 chapters total to get to that point mm-hmm. so the idea yeah. that we're kind of bridging it down a little bit being like hey okay let's get this guy in here and they devote essentially this entire chapter to this character uh who has very little like is an important character but is very clearly like hey you know you can't make nine cool character <laughs> designs in this group gotta have a couple normies in there <laughs> um you know i i i think it's cool that it still feels like the series is just going to go at its own pace because i mean like look if this series ends at seven chapters then i'm going to be in the fucking middle of a game it feels like it feels like they're going to be like we got the whole team together and it's going to be a shot of them looking out into the kyoshin to be like we made it guys (laughs) and then and then then they just take the last panel the last two page spread from last sayuki which is them like hitting a baseball with a baseball (laughs) like they they don't just copy it they just take the same shot and that's just how every series we like ends is just a two-page spread of a baseball being hit uh well, I'm glad we got to meet our Ichimaru before we got to that point, though. So yeah, I kind of like this character's gimmick. It's um, nice. I think he has a little bit too bland of a character design, or rather, no one in the group has a distinct enough design at this point. I feel like to really carry things. Yeah, it would be it would be more impactful if everyone else had a much more distinct character design, and he was just the plainest looking dude ever uh-huh. by comparison to them. So. All right, Dr. Stone. Time to get stoned, Nick. Z equals 195, Treasure Hunter, all alone. Suika is still on her own in this chapter. She is gathering up people's statues and bringing them together. Uh, She is, A, trying to just keep everyone together so that, you know, they're on a group when they've been scattered around. But more importantly, she's hoping that one of them has revival fluid so that she'll be able to bring them back. Uh, and she's starting to get really upset and sad and lonely because she's starting to like talk for them and hold conversations with them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that makes me sad. Um, as she's dragging, uh, Ginro, because of course it's Ginro, his arm snaps off, which is not great. Uh, so she's like, oh no. Uh, this erodes it won't stick back on right okay well maybe senku has some sticky stuff and uh, she starts hunting through his many packs and stuff and she finds that he's got some paper uh but as she hunts through all of his sacks she finds some sort of paste and reaffixes ginro's arm to get him all repaired uh, then she goes over to where kohaku and and uh, uh tsubasa and Hyoga, that was it, uh, were, you know, gunned down. And they're like, okay, well, they might have broken pieces here and there, too. So I've got to gather them all up quickly, too. And there's a very sad little moment where she hugs Kohaku's statue. Makes me sad. Uh. Um, she hauls them out. She used, and she's like, oh, man, I wish that I had like a motorcycle so that I could actually carry everyone a lot more easily. But that thought does give her the idea to go and gather some supplies and use some of the tires that they still have and make herself a little wagon so that she can haul stuff more easily. And again, she's talking for people and holding conversation with them and she's very sad and she's like, no one's actually talking. Suika's all alone. Oh, uh, so the last ones that she has left to find are Luna and Chelsea. And so she realizes, okay, so they must have been the backup survivors. So they would have gone the opposite direction from where I was with Francois. 
So she goes out to try and find stuff. We see a little bit of her fishing so that she will have supplies and stuff. She has this cool little panel where she's like, the Suica Exploration Squad is ready to set off because she's got a tire full of cooked fish, which is a sentence. <laughs> I bet it smells great. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, and, you know, she's she's having a she's trying to keep her spirits up as she goes along. She's like, OK, well, if they were revivers, then they should have some revival fluid. So they, they're my last hope. And so she heads off uh, and she's wandering around. Uh, and eventually she comes across the remains of the bottle that Luna threw up to try and get have it come down on them. And because of that, she's able to find them up on the cliff from uh, from above where it fell. And but she looks through there. She realizes, oh, if you guys toss that, that's the only revival fluid. But she does conclude, I wouldn't have found them if they hadn't tossed it, though. So, uh, and uh, she also starts looking through their belongings to hopefully find some more revival fluid. She doesn't find any. She also finds that Chelsea has made some sort of a map, but that's just kind of it. And so Suika is just kind of left by herself, and she's like, I found everyone's statues, but nobody had any revival fluid. That's it. I'm going to be all alone until the day I die. And she has this very sad but very resigned look on her face, almost as if it's like a relief that, hey, you know, I tried, but it's all over now. So Suika says Suika thought that Suika would cry if there was no fluid after all. But no, no tears. Suika's growing up. Can't be a crybaby anymore. And she brings everyone's statues back together and lines them all up together. They're all gathered around her. And she's like, okay, well... Suika can eat and get some energy, maybe explore. And then she thinks about that. And she's thinking about exploring, makes her think about Chelsea. And she pulls out the map that Chelsea had made. And there's this little diagrams on where to find different things, including fruits. And Suika follows the map and she finds some fruit. And she's like, oh, you guys are still trying to teach Suika stuff. And over the course of time, those lessons pass down from person to person like by writing things on paper. And wait a minute, Senku had paper. And she pulls out the paper she took from him. And it's the way to make revival fluid. He wrote it all down with instructions. And Suika realizes when humans need things, they start with nothing. And Suika's a human. Won't meet again. Suika knows it. Starting with nothing, Suika's gonna do some science. And she's crying again because now she has hope and yeah that's the chapter i didn't cry shut up <laughs> i honestly it, i don't know why it's such a petty thing but i was like maybe if you stop fucking referring to yourself as a third goddamn person i'd be more fucking maybe if suika stopped calling herself suika every five fucking seconds i'd be more invested in suika's goddamn journey <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I just don't know. I, I, I kind of right now. I'm just curious where this goes. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a part of me that's like, God, I hope there's not actually a time skip. I've heard people throw it out there. I mean, we already have had a two year time skip. It's just everyone was frozen in it. But yeah. the idea of like an like, I, I think I'd be OK if it's a, like a like a year or so. But like, there's a part of me that's terrified that we're going to get like 
10 year time skip and so like, you're just going like don't make sweet sexy don't yeah make it really don't is make i'm like I, I i'm just i'm terrified of what might happen basically so but it's well, fine we'll, we'll see. It's a sweet little story she has the instructions so hopefully it won't take her that long <laughs> yeah hopefully there's still equipment actually available basically yeah um so yeah this was a really i really like the little this has been a nice, very intimate little journey that Suikas had to go on. I did not expect that we were going to be getting this, you know, a few months ago. So, yeah. All right, Lick, let's jump over and talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter 61, Mash Burn Dead, and a Sonic Chase. So last time, Sonic Chase. Yeah. So last time, Mash clotheslined uh, Margaret, and everyone's like, well, shit, Like, do you think that did it? And uh, Lance is the only one who's like, mm, I don't know about that. Mark Ron still has a second death. It's fair to say things get worse. And as if on cue, uh, Margaret gets up and is like, all right, you're a worthy opponent. So I will use my second death. Sound second death, death gong. And Mash is like, what is this? And the guy explains, okay, so remember before where we had wands that turned into Bankai? Yeah, we're just Bleach now. Uh, here's like a puzzle you need to solve, basically. It's the death kneel, a giant bell in... Well, what is it? A minute, I think it is. Um, yeah, in one minute, it'll ring out, and anyone in a two k a two kilometer wide area will be knocked out by it. And the only way to stop it is by stealing the wand. But I move at the speed of sound, so you have to catch me before that minute is up, or you're going to lose. So it's a way to kind of place like a, a dramatic thing in there. It's kind of weird because the second it has been built up for a very long time, and then it comes out. It's like because they were like, oh wow. Uh, who knows what would have happened in that fight yeah. with Rain if Margaret had used her second death. Like, if they had used the second death that just fucking <laughs> makes a bell that says in a minute it'll go off and knock you out, because it looks like cool. Rain kind of... I'll make another sword now. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, felt like Rain had that thing kind of handled otherwise. Uh, so immediately Margaret starts zipping around the arena, Mash is chasing after him, and just can't. He's too fast. They're like, ah, you know, you're losing time. Only 30 seconds left. 25, 15... So Mash just grabs a gigantic chunk of the ground and flips it up and then dashes underneath it is basically created so there's no other way to go. Blocked off his escape. So the only way that, that Margaret can go is left or right. And he's like, ah, he's used his reflexes, but he can't rely on them to catch me. He's gambled on me going right. How unfortunate. <gasps> a faint, a body faint, basically like, oh, Mash used his sports training to He used like his a... devil back ghost. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> And uh, Margaret's like, the fool, I've got just enough distance on him. He can't possibly catch me. But Mash managed to get his pinky finger around Margaret's uh, Wait jacket. A Wait a minute. He used the devil back ghost, and then he does the one finger trident tackle. Hold on. Yeah, it's a great series. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's an Ice 21 reference. It's a great series. Yeah. Uh, and manages to toss Margaret down to the ground with just the strength of his one finger. Then he grabs Margaret's wand and snaps it, stopping the death deal before it goes off. And everyone's like, oh, wow, the Sonic chase has come to an end. And Mash has won. Margaret is defeated. Yeah. Margaret just says, ah, all that without any magic. I'm smitten. I accept defeat. But then the sky cracks and a hand emerges through. And it's Innocent Zero and Cell War. Bum, bum, bum. And I really wanted the chapter to end with Mash being like, oh, she'll let that bell go off. 
Because it would have been real convenient if they showed up and then gong. We're and then here they, they both go down. <laughs> oh, <not> time. <laughs> that would have been fucking great. This is a fine chapter. It's not as good as many of like the big defeats Mash usually does or anything like that. But it, it, it was still okay. Yeah, because it was saving the big final moment for the appearance, the arrival of Innocent Zero, as opposed to Mash's victory. So, mm-hmm. but it was nice that we did get to see the actual conclusion of their fight, as opposed to leaving it open ended. Yeah. So. All right, we're also going to continue on now to Undead Unluck. This is Chapter sixty-two, Undead and Untruth. Uh, so we open the chapter where Andy is thanking Shen. And he's like, why? And, uh, oh, man, I actually, we I should explain this. So there's a thing. So, Nick, what's the name of the character that Andy turns into when you take the card out of his head? So I I think of him <laughs> as Victor, but Shen always calls him Victor. Yeah. Or something like that. So apparently it's kind of like a, from what I understand, it's sort of like both. Basically, anyone within Union calls him Victor. And... I've never gotten like it's part of it's supposedly like a translation thing, but I guess part of it is also maybe it's a Thor reference to connect him to the Ragnarok side of things. Uh, I just want to note that I know there's a better explanation out there, and I'm sure if you go to our Discord, people can link you to it. Uh, I don't remember all of it off the top of my head, but yeah, it, it they they are the same character. I kept thinking it was like, is this a mistranslation or are they changing the character's name? It's not that. Different characters will refer to him as different things, basically. Some kind of, I guess, treat him with a bit more reverence. Um, All right. So basically, Andy's like, hey, you know, thanks for protecting Fuko during all that. And Shed's like, you know, I kind of released Victor just because I wanted to fight him, right? <laughs> like, I was, it's kind of a selfish thing I did. He's like, yeah, but you did it. You still protected Fuko, and you're the one who rec- recommended us to Juiz, so... You know, the reason she's still alive is thanks to you, and I always wanted to thank you for that. Shed's like, you know, the only reason I want to beat people who are strong is because there's someone I want to kill, and I'll do anything to make that happen. So I sacrificed Void and, and Miss Gina, two of our own, because I wanted to fight the fabled god of Warhouse within you to become even stronger. And I believe that is actually the only time Void has really been brought up in like 30 chapters. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy's just like, look, your reasons don't matter. What does matter is that we made it out. You protected both of us, so I owe you one. If anything happens down to you, to you down the road, you can rest assured I'll be there to help. And that's where we're at right now. As Shen and uh, Andy are fighting together against Fang, and uh, not doing super hot. Uh, no. they're, they're having a rough time. Also, Shen is or Fang is definitely a negator, and we don't know what he negates yet. Uh, he has not needed to release it. He's just been whooping with straight martial yeah. arts at this point. Uh, Shen keeps going at him and is fighting really, really hard, basically. And he's like, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. And Shen's like, no, I have to. This is my fight. And he uses on. He, he has the big dramatic. No, I must fight him. Yeah. Separates the two of them, steps forward. <laughs> yeah. And he uses on yeah, truth to actually keep them from moving to stop him. Uh, but then he turns around and all three of them immediately like, run up and grab him or punch him in the head, depending on which character they are. And they're like, hey, stupid. What's the most important thing to do right now? And he's like, ah, to kill him. And no, idiot. It's to protect Bowie, right? So like, like you can get revenge, but it's not going to bring back your sister. So protect what you hold dear to you now with your fists. You could do it with all of us, though. We can protect anything. 
This actually made me tear up when I read it. Oh, really? I swear to God. I really like Mui, okay? She's very nice, and I love that the first, when we were first introduced to her, it was established that her greatest dream is just to join the council so that she can help Shen. Um, and they just have a really nice little relationship. And they have a whole thing, they had a whole thing where. Uh, when the languages reunited, Shen tried to speak Chinese to her, and she didn't understand, and it made him sad because that was a thing that they had, and like that little part of their bond was gone. It was just a really nice little understated thing, and it's like, I swear to God, if Mui is sad at the end of this, I'm going to be sad too. So, <laughs> well, Nick, it doesn't bode well for the end of this chapter. I know. Uh, like, Don't you let this happen. So uh, they have Fuko take care of Mui. And then Andy and, and Jen are going to have to work together. And they're like, yeah, uh, it doesn't really work. I, nothing I've done has really done anything. So that's why I need you. So let's use undead and untruth on them together. And basically, the two of them are kind of teaming up and are able to kind of manipulate using undead and untruth at the same time to kind of create these very curious feints. Um, and their teamwork is actually working. Uh, Andy manages to to get a really solid hit on a fang. Uh, and he's... Fang basically is like, all right, now it's time for you guys to disappear, to despair, rather, and reach even greater heights. And he grabs his little staff that he's been using. He says, die, little girls, for my quest for ultimate strength. And, you know, activates it. This big, you know, fiery dragon kind of covers the entire staff. And then he basically just launches it like a fucking missile. And it shoots straight towards them. It's going to just engulf uh, Fuko and Mui and then Andy steps in front and blocks a lot of the attack but then Shen covers the other side and the staff goes through Andy who cares he's undead but it's also now sticking straight through Shen's chest as well and Shen just says it's true it's amazing Mr. Andy together we can really protect anything and Mui's crying because she thinks that <laughs> Shen's gonna die now which it seems like he might, yeah. <laughs> Main character shields are a thing, and Shen's the third longest-running character in this series. But um, characters can die in Undead Unluck. It has happened, so um, he's I won't also, be too shocked if he drops dead. So. Well, I'll say uh, they did kind of establish, I think one of the previous things was, um, one of the rewards was like an afterlife. Or ghosts or something like that. So the huh. idea that maybe a character could die here is not unthinkable and they could still be a presence in the story or even come back. Who knows? Um, it, it's a very cool moment. It's definitely something where I'm like, shit, they're really building Fang up as, as something ridiculous mm -hmm. if he's able to do this much damage. And again, still has not revealed what he can negate. So maybe he does. Maybe. Well, no, he has to be. In he has to because he can still speak. In he's Chinese. aware of things. Yeah. So. So he's definitely a negator of some kind. And based off his name, Fang, my first thought is undefendable or I don't know, something like that. But I'm sure it's probably something more translated. Unhope, people are saying. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. Some of the. Some, talking about despair, so. Yeah. Some of the names are translations in other languages as well. Like Tatiana apparently is like a three layer pun because it's like from Russian to japanese into english basically hmm. i don't know so so yeah i don't i don't know off the top of my head but pretty cool chapter i think yeah uh effective drama building i really love the moment where the three of them grab onto shen and are like no stop being an idiot <laughs> so 
It was good uh, stuff. Yeah. And then let's talk about Black Clover, page 292, knowing. Uh, so we start with the flashback of Magna basically begging Zora to teach him all of his, his stuff, because he's like, how do I fight like you? Um, you're a peasant like me, but you're able to do these really incredible things. Please teach me. I, I know you could fight. And I'm I'm getting even further away from luck at this point. I can't drag the Black Bulls down. And uh, Magda or Zor even thinks like, hmm, a peasant with flame magic who's a magic knight, huh? It's all coming back. It's all cyclical, Nick. So he's like, all right, I don't want to watch you grovel. I'll teach you just to kind of get you to go away, basically. And he also thinks to himself, we might have a better shot at discovering something new together anyway. So mm-hmm. he goes and basically shows him all the work he's doing on a raise. And he's like, yeah, I've been looking for my ultimate self, too, for ages. Um you know, you called it. I do use that mana method thing, but you know, in the Heart Kingdom, they use it to kind of put it together on the spot. To use that style, you need a ton of magic, good instincts, and fast reflexes. I'm a peasant. I ain't got any of that stuff, so I need to put a raise together slowly beforehand, and that's especially true for powerful ones, uh, powerful spells like that one shot. So we have to use that advantage. The runes we make with our puny magic are so puny they just stick around. So that means we could take a ton of time and build super complicated arrays in advance. And then the art here gets a little bit rough because mm-hmm. Tabata has been in bad health for a while. And I really hope that once this arc ends, Tabata could just take like a couple of months to just rest or something like that. He says, to do that though, we have to know more about mana and ourselves. And what that takes is studying and slow, boring drudge work. So do you think you could do it? So basically we just get like a little, not even like a montage. It's like a panel that shows a montage between them before eventually Magna's like, hey, what about this array? And he's like, wow, that actually might work. Which brings us to the present where Magna has developed this thing that splits the two of their souls in half and links it up. And he says, I just linked this up and split our magic equally. The soul chain death match. Let me give you a heads up. That chain is our soul. So if you yank it out or break it, you'll go insane. <laughs> this is pretty awesome. Well, all right then. <laughs> and he basically just punches Dante right in the stomach. And Dante's like, what the fuck? He still can use his gravity magic, so he's like, Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna punch you a couple times. But uh, he's like, Hey, didn't you say I could attack you as much as I wanted? And Dante's like, You fuck you. <laughs> uh but Dante still has his regenerative magic, so he's like, Look, as long as I have that, you're never going to be able to get to beat me. So get down your knees and regret that you ever got above yourself and defied me. And uh, we we just get uh, Zora watching on, saying, even if you put it on your knees, you struggle to continue to fight. You kept the smoldering fire burning and kept preparing right up until today. It doesn't matter if your opponent's the enemy boss or a devil host or a mortal. Win this, Magna. And the final shot of the chapter is Magma just punching Dante to the ground with a big, big, big old punch. There's some cool stuff in this chapter. I do really like that final shot of Magna just punching Dante into the ground. It's a really cool dynamic shot. Um, I also like a few of the lines here and there throughout the chapter. Like, you know, Magna's like, hey, Zora, Zora my man. And Zora's like, who is your man? Fuck <laughs> off. You know, um, yeah. But my absolute favorite is when the great hero, Jack the Ripper, says, there's no way a peasant like Magna could use a spell like that. And Zora just says, yeah, but he did, though. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, like, you know, 
seeing the stuff that Magna actually went through in order to do this is is nice. Uh, he says also that it's a one-time spell that's mine alone, which means maybe he'll never be able to use this soul chain thing ever again. But hey, I mean, like an important fight to have. Yeah, potentially. I mean, it also, I guess, is just a way to be like, hey. There's a super powerful opponent. Why doesn't Magna soul chain them and, <laughs> and then just, exactly. you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a pretty OK chapter. There you so. go. Let's talk about One Piece chapter 1012. Itch. So uh, uh, we start things off with a little conversation between Izo and Kiku. Izo brings up, hey, Kiku. How's your arm doing? Because <laughs> it's still been cut off. And Kiku's like, it is merely an itch until my life is expended. No worse than the itch this one felt in the heart on the day you left for good. We get a little flashback of Kiku crying for her brother. <laughs> so there you go. Getting your arm cut off hurts. There you go. So um they have little conversations about what they hope to do, like after the country is opened and what they're going to do afterwards. And they're like, hey, let's talk about that if we're still alive in the morning. Um, Kiku asks to be the one to be allowed to to vanquish Kanjuro. She promises to actually do it for good this time. Uh, Kinemon is planning to try and go and protect Momonosuke. And he says to the rest to scatter and join the fight. Uh, Cat Viper happens to come across Shishilian and Berrietti. Uh, and ask what they're up to. Uh, and uh, so everyone kind of like splits off in their own directions, basically. While that's going on, Cat Viper talks with Shishilian uh, and uh, who explains, oh yeah, Pedro died, by the way, over on Big Mom's Island. He, he didn't know about that. So finally got up to speed on that point. Um, but uh, Barietti, who is the monkey riding around on Shishilian's back, says, the one who caused Pedro's death is here on the island. Carrot and Wanda were fighting him, but their anger got the best of them. Yeah, that's what happened. Uh, that's why I had to rush back to Warren Commander Shishilian. And Cat Viper says, well done, Pedro. You died for a noble cause. The opportunity to avenge you is on this island. And uh, he takes a big mighty leap and sees just fly off. So, uh, um, Then we cut to where Momonosuke is hiding with Shinobu and, Yam and Yamato. And Yamato says, I'll be a decoy. Here, look, see, this little sack of stuff I tied her together. This will be you, and you'll be, and it'll be right around in my clothes to distract people. And uh, he's got a really weird little look on his face as he says this. Uh, so he runs off, leaving Momonosuke in Shinobu's protection. Uh, Shinobu asks, uh, rather, uh, Yamato asks, hey, Luffy's all right, right? And Momonosuke says, he's the same as earlier, weakened but well. But now there are only two voices. So Yamato realizes that uh, there's a one-on-one -on -one fight now between Luffy and, and Kaido. And he says, I have to hurry. All of my father's adventures, I've heard so many, uh, rather, oh, Momonosuke says, all of my father's adventures, I've heard so many stories, but now, and he starts to read Odin's diary. Then we cut over to where <laughs> Sanji is. He has a bandaged cross on his back. What's going on? And eventually someone says, that might be Pirate Hunter Zoro in there. And yes, it's Zoro. And Sanji's mad at the unconscious Zoro for making things worse for him. 
And we get a flashback to explain that when Law teleported himself and Zoro down off the roof, they were going to land out in the ocean. Sanji used his skywalk and went out and caught them. Uh, Zeus happened to be there as well. And he was like, hey, Zeus, what about Nami? And Zeus ran away. Uh, Sanji's upset that girls didn't fall into his arms because that's his thing. And uh, then Law says, oh, you take him, Blackleg. I gotta go. And just leaves Sanji with Zoro. And Sanji's pissed off, like, I don't I don't know Medis Medic. So he just wrapped him his entire body up in bandages because that's all he knows how to do. Zoro was still conscious at the time, so he kind of like briefly explained what the hell happened. And uh, Sanji says, Well, I hope Luffy's okay up there. And Zoro answers, It seemed like he figured something out. He's gonna win. So Sanji doesn't really know where to go now. He's running around, kicking people while carrying Zoro around. Hooray. Uh, Zoro says briefly that they should go to the performance floor, and then he falls asleep. Then we cover to Big Mom, and uh, she has just knocked page one out because of, you know, Toko's village getting burned down by Kaido's men. Uh, Ulti comes rushing in, and uh, she's upset, of course, that page, page one's been hurt. So uh, Nami tries to direct Big Mom's anger towards Ulti uh, and by saying, she's the one who did the thing that made you sad. Good job, Nami. It's a great lie. It's a great one. But Big Mom hates the straw hat still. So she starts yelling at Nami and Usopp as well. So then Nami is like, Ulti, girl, go get her. Go get Big Mom. And it'll just like, fuck you. And so, yeah, it's uh, not going to work. They're uh, not going to be uh, manipulated. They're both too volatile. So they try and escape on Komachiyo. Uh, but Ulti just comes dashing in, ricochets off the walls and slams her head into Komachiyo's side and uh, knocks the poor dog cow thing out. And uh, it's knocked out. And uh, Ulti's really pissed off now. She says, it's time to put you out of your misery. And she starts kicking Komachio while he's down. Tama's upset, demands she stop it. And so Ulti slaps Tama across the face. And Nami gets fucking pissed off. Big Mom gets pissed off too. But Nami says, uh, so Usopp says to Nami that they need to take Tama and run. But while Big Mom is saying, did you just hit my friend, little girl? And Ulti's like, well, you just smashed my little brother. But before she can finish, Nami takes her climb attack and smacks Ulti with fucking lightning. And she says, who said you could hit Tama? And Usopp is freaked out. But Nami says, I can't leave. She hit a child. I'm going to stay and crush her. <laughs> So Nami's he's getting serious and that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. So I think it's a really cool moment for Nami. Yeah. It's an awesome little moment. You don't really see Nami be like, I'm going to fight. So I do it. There's a part of me. It's like, I still really want her and Usopp to team up though. So I still hope that happens. <laughs> uh, Zeus, of course, is heading towards where big mom is. And Nami happens to be there as well. And Nami needs some more powerful lightning. So, Hmm. We'll see. Yeah. Lots of little teases in here. Um, I, I I definitely had to stop to be like, where the fuck is the production or performance floor where uh, Zoro yeah, told Sanji to go? That's where uh, Queen, I believe, is. 
Um, yeah, okay. And I think King's also there and Marco and everything like that. That's where they like the ice right. only were. So I had to look that up. So it looks like we are probably going to get Zoro and Sanji versus King and Queen after all. <laughs> Once Chopper takes a proper look at Zoro and is like, oh, you just need two band-aids. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's Zoro. He'll be fine. I'm sure we're going to get a still, still get a big fight out of this. Yeah. Um, so we got that going on Yamato indicating that he is going to at least be present for the end of, uh, Kaido and Luffy's fight potentially. So, but we'll go. see how that goes. We There's a lot see. of moving pieces still at work. People being like, so I'm going to fight that guy. I'm going to fight that guy. I'm going to fight that guy. So who knows if Paris Sparrow is out there and kind of teased. I don't know if it was this chapter or last chapter that cat Viper's like, Oh cool. The person who killed Pedro is here. I'm going to go kill him. So yeah. there's definitely a lot of like moving things kind of going on right now. But the big highlight definitely is Nami being yeah. a boss. So, all right, let's uh, wrap this up real quick then. Yes. Favorite chapter and MVP for this week. Let's go. Uh, favorite chapter. Uh, I'm going to give it. Uh, I, I, I did actually like Nine Balls Dragon Parade a lot. Um, I'm torn between that or actually no. You know what? It's first time in there. I'm gonna give it to Undead Unlock. I think it's a cool chapter. <sighs> Me too. <gasps> Look at that! <laughs> it was a really good chapter. <laughs> All it took was one week, and boom! Already we're on board. Uh, my character of the week is Magna, though. I thought it was a really cool chapter for him. But I know I gave it to him last week, but I think this is like. The only time maybe in the series Magda is ever going to get to look cool. This is going to be an odd one, but I do really feel it deep down in my bones. I'm going to give it to Kikuchihara for thinking that Kita's always reasons for putting the team together are really stupid. <laughs> and just be like, what the fuck is wrong with all of you? <laughs> I love the audience was like Dr. Stone and Suika. It was... And he, like, you instead of doing it with Suiko, went with, like, this one dude who called Kita Zoe rightfully an idiot for picking He didn't him. even call him that. He's just like, I can't fucking believe this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Uh, Suiko was great, but I've been giving it to Suiko a lot recently, I think. So, yeah. All right. So that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank everyone for joining us for the show, which we record here on twitch.tv slash RoloT Wednesdays in the evening, starting sometime usually around 7.30. You can also follow us on Twitter to stay updated on exactly where we're going live or join the Discord chat because on the Discord, we send a notification when the stream starts. And the Discord is also a great place. You can find the Google Doc that Ninja X3i maintains that keeps track of our recommendations the votes for MVP and favorite series, all sorts of very useful statistics and records. Uh, you can also join that community because uh, we have uh, all sorts of great conversations on there with our fans and uh, weekly Among Us games uh, Saturday mornings. Uh, fun, fun, fun times. And uh, want to thank people who support us on Patreon, who will ask great bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Check out, of course, monthly other recap yes. when that gets posted by Chris. And we want to thank the people who help make our show what it is. Steve Mann, our tile card artist, uh, and Wednesday Dell Cheddar, and Milo Jack Stillis for creating the opening sequence of the show, which is posted to YouTube, which is one of the places you can find the show, along with weeklymagarecap.podbean.com, Spotify, iTunes, 
all places where podcasts can be listened to, basically. Mm-hmm. What will we be reading for next time? So, Nick, we just got rid of Ayakashi Triangle. And I yes, thought it would only be fitting to take a look at a previous Yabuki work. We're going to be taking a look at not his porn, because we don't do we don't do porn. Uh, so it's not, not too sure he's actually written porn. He might well, have to love Rue was basically, I mean, he didn't write that. He just drew it. We're going to be taking a look at black cat. His <laughs> first big breakout hit. Uh, it was first recommended by uh manga man, uh, ZX. So we're going to take a look at that. All right. Well, we'll see what that's about then. Indeed. And that is it. We're going to disappear. Uh, if you're listening to this right live, we're just going off air. If you're listening to the podcast, we're disappearing. And who knows where we go when you stop listening to the podcast. Perhaps we only exist in a small box that uh, we are only allowed out of into existence when you start listening to us. And what happens after that, no one knows. Or we're both going to get something to eat or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, sounds about right. got to get more water. Yeah. yeah. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs>